Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. You are joining myself, Mr. Mark Hamilton, and joining me as always is Mr. Mark Daly and very, very special guest, Vincenzo Landino, once again joining us for a Thursday night news show. But this show is our special, special season preview. But before that, we've got a bunch of news. So I'm going to run through a couple of quick hot facts before we get started here, just because I want to make sure. Oh, geez. (laughs) Just because I want to set the precedence that tonight I am captaining this ship. I am the pilot. I am the alpha driver. I am running the show. And the reason being is because Mr. Mark Daly (laughs) has already recorded a couple of podcasts this week. We tweeted about this yesterday. He actually recorded a podcast with James Hinchcliffe, NBC analyst, former IndyCar driver yesterday. This will be, I think, your third podcast of the week. So we decided, let's give you a little bit of the break and let Hamilton try to run the ship. Vincenzo (laughs) almost wanted to bail justifiably. But before we get started, before I even ask how you guys are doing, a couple of things I quickly wanted to touch on real quick is this. We're dropping a very special podcast, an extra one next week. That podcast I just alluded to with James Hinchcliffe is going to drop on Wednesday. The following week, we have a special interview with Elizabeth Blackstock. She is a phenomenal motorsports journalist that is currently writing a book about Haas. That's going to be very cool. And then the week after that, Seth Whiteberg, who is an producer, production artist extraordinaire when it comes to producing some of the finest television that we watch today. He is going to be joining us to talk about the ins and outs of producing television, reality television, and we're going to do a real deep dive on into Drive to Survive. We have tons more coming. And then the final thing before I pass it over to the two of you, March 18th is the final day to join our F1 Fantasy League. So we currently have 1,900 entries, which is phenomenal. And possibly 19 times greater than I expected. So with all that out of the way, tonight's show is going to look like this. We're going to have our normal preamble. I'm going to pass it over to Daly, pass it over to Vincenzo, get a sense of how they're doing. Then we're going to go through a couple of news stories. Then we're going to have a commercial break and get to the season preview, which I think is what all of you are waiting to hear. So with that, Mr. Daly, Vincenzo, how the heck are the two of you doing today? Well, I mean, it's How almost nice of you weekend. to ask. Sorry, go ahead, Vincenzo. I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting at the same time, so I should be paying attention. <laughs> no, um, you're, you're good. I, I was just, I just had to add, you know, a, a little shot there at Hamilton. Like, hey, nice of you to ask. Uh, doing good. Yeah, 22 good. minutes into the podcast. <laughs> 37, 37 hours later, Mark is done with his, uh, his introduction I re- here. I just realized the Bavarian GP just started. There, there you go. <laughs> uh, wait, wait a minute. Actually, isn't practice a Oh, no, it's okay. No, we've got time for Soon. practice, about 11 hours. Hey, Vincenzo, you better check on your wife. She might be in labor. I, I know oh it goodness. was seven weeks. Oh, of- my goodness. Seriously. I keep thinking about that. Like, she, it, And then the thing is, she's due right around Imola. So I'm like, oh, please, please do not, please do not go to labor during <laughs> Please Imola. be Monday morning. <laughs> oh, 
that's all I can hope for. Anyway, doing good over here. A little warm in my new uh, lo- location where we're recording, but uh, we're going to make it happen. And uh, compared to where where I am today, up on the mountain here, it was trying to snow this morning. I mean, we're just kind of below the snow uh, the snow level here, so kind of completely different, you know, Vancouver, Florida, and uh, yeah, no, it, it it is what it is. And we were kind of having an interesting offline uh, discussion here about uh, you know me potentially putting in an air conditioning unit for the summer for like the three days out of the year that we, <laughs> that we actually needed here. So you know, maybe we have got more money than sense, but I'm good. I'm excited, guys. I mean, did this off season go quick? or what i can't believe that we're yes. sitting here getting ready to unbelievably to the quick and the opening race of the year and I, I feel that we just basically wrapped up 2021 it's it's nuts it really is I think one of the things that was important for us, and and I know a lot of a lot of F one content producers kind of go on to hiatus during the winter break. We didn't at all. Like we mm-hmm. kept, and that was our commitment to the listeners was we're going to keep pumping out a show, two shows every single week. But we did that because there was just so much happening in the off season, and and we'll get to this later in the show. But we're going into really a, 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 an entirely new era of Formula One. But that winter break went so so fast, but we've got so much to look forward to. And maybe the first thing to look forward to tonight, and this is our first news story, is the fact that Sky TV in the UK has announced that they are going to broadcast all 23 Grand Prix this season, not just in 4K, but in 4K HDR. And that is incredibly important because as we alluded to during the most recent podcast, when we did the race or when we did the Drive to Survive review with Tim Mm -hmm. Haraney, Formula One still broadcasting at 1080i. It's pretty low quality HD. And then we watched Drive to Survive, which was in this beautiful, glorious 4K HDR. We saw Formula One in a way that we've never seen it before. Brightness, low contrast colors. It was beautiful. So mm-hmm. at least for those of you in the UK that are paying 13 pounds a month or $20, and I think Vincenzo, you probably know better than I, whatever astronomical amount you are paying to have the right to watch broadcast Formula One, at least this year, you're going to be able to watch it in 4K HDR. Well, those of us over here will be watching in streaming quality on the F1 TV Pro app or in standard high definition with ESPN or TSN. Daily, Vincenzo, I don't know about you guys, but do you have a 4K HDR TV? Is this something you're excited to see finally hit our screens? I don't have a 4K HDR TV. Yeah, I do. I have you do, eh? Yeah, I, I, I don't, but uh, I, I find that uh, even just in, uh, you know, standard high def, the, 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 the picture's still pretty good. I mean, w- when you look where it was even just a couple of years ago, I mean, even just in, in 1080 is, is, is a huge, huge improvement. I mean, when you see it like in Drive to Survive, I mean, obviously they've done a whole bunch of fancy different things to, to dress it up on top of it. But I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's one thing I probably should invest in is a, a nice 4K TV. But hey, you know, I'll, I'll suffer through... <laughs> with regular high def, but it's good. It's I still don't mind it. Whenever you are ready, whenever you're ready, give me a shout because I, I could direct you to somebody that might be able to hook you up with a great TV at a great price, but you're definitely, definitely do. And then the benefit of upgrading is your existing TV can find its way into your bedroom, right? So you can have a reason to escape the kids. Another story yeah. that I definitely wanted to touch on, and I'm extremely excited to get both of your feedback on this one, is that Stefano Domenicali has outlined what he hopes to see from the report into last year's controversial title deciding Abu Dhabi Grand 
Prix. Formula One boss Stefano Domacani has hit back at claims that the 2021 season finale in Abu Dhabi was quote-unquote fixed, but feels that the FIA's upcoming report into the race is vital to the sport's credibility going forward. Speaking in an interview with Sky Sports ahead of the eagerly awaited WMSC meeting, he stressed that F1's credibility is at stake when it comes to the FIA's report and the lessons therein will be applied to the future. So we've all been waiting all off season for this report that was initiated seemingly a month after the race actually took place. Now, a lot of people at that time, and Vincenzo, you were very astute. You were jumping all over these people that were jumping onto social media and declaring, I will never watch a race again. I am logging off of social media. I am going to unenroll from my F1 TV Pro app subscription. But the reality is every single indicator currently from social media to podcast downloads to TV ratings indicates that interest in Formula One hasn't been this high in 10 or 12 years. So with all of that said, what do we expect from the FIA report? Daily, I'm curious from your perspective, does it matter at this point? Have fans moved beyond it? What could they possibly release that might satisfy those that haven't moved beyond what happened in Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I don't know what they could release now for, you know, to, I don't know what to say, you know, what, what the proper word is, is but I, I think just from transparency, they have to. I mean, the, the, the fact that they're they're not kind of makes people suspicious. I think a lot of us have uh, moved on. But, it, you know, my, my opinion is if you've got nothing to hide, then why not release it just by keeping it behind closed doors, keeping it locked away in a filing cabinet somewhere at uh, Formula One World Headquarters, you know, somewhere down in the you know, subtraining levels of Area 51 just does not look good to the, the fan base in general. I mean, there's obviously people that are going to be upset and are still not going to move on from that. But I mean, the, the fact is, is that Mercedes moved on. Lewis has moved on. They're not happy. But at this point, it's like, what can you really do? I think they've to just decide, put a line under it. We've got a new season here. Let's let's just focus on the track and let's just win it again, I think is what they're doing. That doesn't make, you know, what everyone's right, doing right, but I don't know. Vincenzo, you had tweeted almost immediately after it happened that you didn't have a dog in the fight, meaning that you weren't necessarily rooting for Max, you weren't rooting for Lewis, so you had a different perspective on it. From your perspective, is the FIA obligated to come forward and and pinpoint blame somewhere? To you, what does the sport need to do? So when Stefano Domenicali says, hey, we need to make sure that we ensure the credibility and the integrity of the sport, what does he mean and what is the FIA going to have to come forward with to, to achieve that integrity and to ensure the credibility of the championship? I think it's simply a transparency thing. Like Mark said at this point, uh, let us know what was found um, and, and put in place uh, a plan to make adjustments, whatever those adjustments may be. I, I don't think they owe anything necessarily to the fans. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, because obviously, listen, I want to, I want to know what happened, but at the same time, what happened was a very much human error because the, of the way the rules were written. So it's, there's, it's a whole situation, right? We already saw some, words changed in the regulations to ho- hopefully uh, adjust how the decisions are made. But, you know, what are they going to find that's going to drastically change anything? We talked about this, I think, in a previous episode. It's not that they're going to change the outcome of what happened. So anything shy of that, which we, is not going to happen, 
does nothing for me. It's a sport. Mistakes happen. Officials make mistakes. You know, Mark, we well, actually think all of us uh, watch soccer, calcio, football, it, VAR. There's always issues, right? Things mm-hmm. always happen. And, you know, you're like, oh, well, we have instant replay. We have VAR. Yeah, we do. But it can't fix every single issue, right? If a referee or, um, you know, some official makes a call, a judgment call, there's rules that say certain things can't be overturned or can't be uh, ruled by, with VAR instant replay. So not everything can be fixed. Um, so I think just some sort of ownership of, hey, the rule regulations had some holes in it is a start. And going forward, we're going to make the necessary adjustments to ensure this doesn't happen, period. Um, I, I do not think and I do not expect there to be any ownership of fault where they will say, you know, Lewis was robbed. Like that's not going to ever happen. So anyone that expects that, and <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the whole world of, I say F1 Twitter, but there, there's nothing that is going to satisfy those folks that are continually thinking that something's going to change in terms of what happened last season. It's not going to happen. Get over it. If you don't want to watch the sport anymore, don't watch it. But I think Domenicali, F1, they can own it. They can come out and say, we're going to do better next time. And it's it's everyone's individual choice whether they want to believe that or not. Yeah. yeah I, fair point. I think you make a really good point about the fact that there is a segment of this, the online Formula One community that is deeply invested in this concept or this notion that there is a grand conspiracy, that Liberty, that the FIA, that the commercial rights group, that they were all conspiring together to make sure that Max won this championship. And the reality is, I and I don't want to speak for either of you, but I don't believe that for a second. I just, I can't believe that that could actually be a thing. And I think, Vincenzo, you, you touched on a couple of moments ago that, hey, Ultimately, this was a human error and it was an individual that was under massive stress and he erred in a pretty egregious way. But I also agree with you in the sense that I don't know that the FIA is going to necessarily come forward and pinpoint to that exact moment and say, look, the specific error was that the rule book wasn't followed by this specific individual at this time. Because I think to do that would be to undermine the credibility of the recently completed championship itself. I think it's going to be probably a little bit more vague and will probably allude to the fact that there was opportunities in the rule book that have since been clarified. But I think the fact that the investigation is ongoing and the fact that Michael Massey is no longer a race director is evidence enough that they weren't satisfied with his performance last season. Daly, anything else to comment on or add to what Vincenzo said? Uh, Not really, but I think it was just a kind of interesting way how you just kind of threw Massey's name in there because I couldn't help but uh, thinking when watching uh, Drive to Survive uh, last weekend when you got to those last couple of episodes when Massey finally makes an official appearance. I mean, we kind of saw him kind of dropped into some clips here and there in the pit lane through the, I guess, the first seven or eight episodes, but I think it was episode nine or 10, he actually gets in front of the camera and actually starts talking properly. I I couldn't help but thinking how many remotes, beverages, shoes, tables, you know, have like got thrown at screen (laughs) by some people when he actually sat down and started uh, talking. But yeah, I mean, I I don't really have anything more to really add to what Vincenzo actually said, but I I just would have thought that or would have hoped, excuse me, that after 
that whole situation with the Ferrari a couple of years ago. And I mean, it was great for Ferrari because it was never made known what they were actually doing wrong. That never really came out into the public realm. I mean, it was speculated upon, but I would have thought that uh, just for transparency moving forward, because I mean, what Ferrari did ultimately didn't impact a championship. I mean, that's not to say that I'm condoning cheating by Ferrari or anyone else. But you would have thought that um, after the blowback from there, you would have thought that when you have something that's magnitudes a bigger deal when it comes down to a championship decider, that uh, that they would do something. Because like I say, I mean, you you keep it under the rug, hidden under the rug, then it just it's it's optically it just doesn't look uh, great uh, great for me. But uh, Connie's got. I did find it. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, please go. Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna uh, say. An, an interesting comment in the live chat, and she was just saying that it would be interesting to see how much audio that we're going to get this season uh, from the teams to the race director. I, I think they're actually going to cut that off now, aren't they? That they can't actually you get you know make those radio you know requests or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, a- any communication with the race director from the pit wall, I think, is just not going to happen at all this year, is it? Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, I thought it I was think very. They, they said no direct. They said no direct conversation. So, I, I does that mean that there's absolutely none, or it has to filter through a specific channel? Do you guys know? I, I didn't. I think I didn't it's the latter. Too deep into I, it. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Either that, or maybe you reach out through TikTok. I, I don't know. Maybe there's different <laughs> ways to reach to reach the race director. But I think what we saw last year, which was a direct phone call, or I don't even know it was a phone call. It was just direct. Like we saw it in, in Drive to Survive, yeah. right? Like Radio Control Massey, Radio Control Massey's like, yes, Toto, yes, Christian, and he would always have that polite response. I did find it a little bit strange that he was interviewed as drive as part of that docu series that. Mm-hmm. Fan, reality series like i thought it was a little bit weird that somebody who's ultimately in charge of safety and officiating was being interviewed and obviously was interviewed before the conclusion but i thought it was a little bit weird that the official was effectively involved in the interviewing process i thought that was a little bit weird but with that we do have a couple more stories before we bounce over to the season preview and i'm going to pass it over to vincenzo because it feels like formula one is now in an entirely different economic stratosphere. We all knew that there was big money backing formula one, but historically it's been liquor. It's been alcohol. It's been tobacco, but now, and I'm going to pass it over to you, Vincenzo. It seems to be that technology has opened up the bank vaults and the cash is flowing in. So two big stories this week, 
First is that McLaren has signed a mega sponsorship deal with Google immediately before the start of the championship. And also Salesforce, which is a major CRM player in the technology industry, has signed a huge contract <clears throat> with Formula One themselves. From your perspective, I know you've been big on the fact that crypto is becoming a big part of uh, Formula One. Technology companies are being a big part of Formula One. Were these contracts expected? Should we see more of this? The Salesforce, uh, that's been speculated for quite a while. And um, I remember I wrote back last year that Salesforce would have been a prime candidate for this. Um, here's the thing. Salesforce money is five year, 150 million. It's about $30 million a year. Global sponsor tier, which is very important uh, for Salesforce. Salesforce is, is a, an American company. They are very well known here in the US amongst uh, you know large firms. Pretty much everybody knows of Salesforce. Um, they own Slack, which so if you don't if you're not using the massive CRM of Salesforce, you probably use Slack. You you know what that is. Um, Salesforce wanted and wants a global profile. Um, a lot of my clients are global companies. Oracle, SAP are two of my clients. Oracle sponsors now Red Bull, massive deal. SAP has been involved in motorsport Formula E before. They are well known in Europe. Oracle is also well known outside of the US. Salesforce is not. When you travel over to Europe or if you talk to European companies, they're not as, uh, they don't know Salesforce as, as well as the others. I think with Drive to Survive, Right. Like you have to, I think at this point with the influx of American technology brands coming into the sport, um, and there's another one we'll talk about, right? In a second, the, the effect that Netflix is having on the profile of F1, the profile of, of what sponsorship can do for your brand, um, is just going to get bigger. So we're seeing these big players get involved. You know, Oracle, Salesforce, we just saw Google as well. These are some of the biggest companies in the world, American headquartered. And, you know, I know there's a lot of folks out there, every time I say that American tech involved in Formula One and the instant comeback is, well, it's well known outside of the US. And, and that is exactly why American tech brands are now getting involved because they want that profile globally. They want the audience that Formula One can provide that others can't, right? The National Football League is huge in the US and that's great, but they don't have a global profile. I mean, Formula One is in nearly every country in the world has some sort of involvement. There's even, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say every country, but in other continents, right? We've had races there. There has been, you know, we know the viewership numbers globally. So this is, this as a play for Salesforce, brilliant. The number is tiny, if you ask me. I, I'm, there's way more money in their pockets. Benioff is, um, Mark Benioff, the, the, the CEO of, uh, of Salesforce has much more money than this. So th I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for Salesforce. I wouldn't be surprised if Salesforce ever was to jump in and sponsor a team. They've done IndyCar in the past. Um, it would not surprise me at all. So when I look at this, I look at it as Salesforce planting 
their roots in a global sport, putting their name amongst a roster of global brands. That's huge. Um, you know, when you think about what exactly does a sponsorship for Formula One do for a brand, awareness, excitement, market expansion, um, web traffic, search traffic, because people want to know, oh, what is this Salesforce, right? We, that's how the Formula One viewer looks at things. We see these these names on our merchandise that we buy for our favorite teams. And what is that? What am I wearing, right? I want to know more about it. I think the, the average Formula One fan is probably a little more in tune to sponsorship than maybe like the average NFL fan because mm. NFL doesn't have, it's not so tied to brands the way Formula One or even soccer are. Um, and then it's just a whole brand new target audience, which is what Salesforce is after. I think this, the global play is really, really, really important here. And it would be irresponsible of us to not realize that's what Salesforce is going after is the global audience that Formula One and only Formula One, maybe not only Formula One, maybe soccer could do the same, but Formula One does. The technology aspect is also unique, right? With, with Formula One, it's heavily, heavily involved in, in all sorts of technology. These cars are, you know, really fast computers essentially. Uh, and so, what do what is Salesforce? It's a cloud-based tech company. There you go. Daily, before we jump to a quick break here, mm -hmm. I, I have to ask you as well. You've been watching Formula One even longer than I have. And when we grew up watching Formula One, sponsorship, marketing around Formula One was dominated by tobacco. And, and at the time, <laughs> the penetration yeah. of smokers was infinitely higher than it was today. And we kind of took it for granted because there was no alternative. You know, you and I were big we were big critics of the fact that Philip Morris International was still tied into tied into Ferrari. Like from my perspective, I feel really good about that. That these are not necessarily wholesome companies, but that they're a, a lot more. It's a lot more integrity tied into a Salesforce or a Google than there is necessarily a tobacco company. What do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, totally. And you know what I think is interesting too. Like I've noticed in Drive to Survive, or even just uh, hopping online and looking uh, at pictures of say the MTC or even like uh, some of these uh, different. Uh, teams that have like their, their 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 museums and i mean if you look at the say the like the historic division at uh, williams like i mean the camel uh and rothman's branding has pretty much disappeared Great from point. all those cars from like 15, Great 20 point. years ago and these are the ones that are in their museums and whatnot i think it's the same with the mclarens you look at like the uh, those classic uh race and championship winning cars from the 80s and 90s i mean they still have like those day glow orange colors on them but anything marlboro related is removed for it from it and then i kind of look at my huh you know that car looks a little bit weird you know because you know you just you look i mean when we when we were kids and we watched those races i mean you just were used to seeing like cigarette branding all over the place so to see it without them now with the you know the the, the space of 20 years or 30 years or god i don't know who knows how many years between it it, it looks strange but you know, I, I, I much prefer that move away from it, but uh, I think Vincenzo made a good point there just about like the, the, the branding and things like that. I mean, Vincenzo's wearing a, sh a soccer shirt, so am I, and mine is a Nike one, so it's got the big swoosh on it. And I was just thinking, you know, there, there's still like a lot of these blue chip, you know, these really top level elite uh, companies that we don't even see in Formula One. And, and I was thinking about it this afternoon that... I think that you would really think or, or realize when Formula One is really truly there on the um, maybe the pub or the uh, 
I guess the sporting consciousness is maybe you see drivers walking around in race boots that are made by Nike or the, the overalls are Nike. I mean, you know, I mean, Nike is like the brand. I mean, you know, I know if I need some athletic wear or shoes, I know that if I get anything Nike, I know it's going to be a winner. Right. And you know, it looks good. And, you know, obviously I'm a bit of a fanboy, so, you know, I, I, can't, I can't help but think that, I mean, th- when you hear things like Salesforce and Oracle and all these different companies, it also kind of leads into a story that was out there this, uh, you know, in the last couple of days about Haas and the re- uh, recent, uh, you know, decision that they made to part ways with Urukali, obviously, you know, the whole Russian connection and, you know, Dmitry Mazepin being, you know, a close associate of Vladimir Putin and all that. And, you know, I mean, at least publicly and what else are they going to say? They're not going to come and say, oh, my God, we have no sponsor. We have no money now. But uh, at least in out in the media, they're being kind of chill about it, saying, hey, you know, we're, we're not too concerned about it because there's a lot of interest uh, for people that are willing to or showing interest in stepping up to take that uh, that title sponsor. Hey, Vincenzo, w- what do you think would be like a good fit for a team like like Haas? I mean, obviously, they're going to get like would love like one of these top level companies to come and sponsor them but just considering who they are that just doesn't seem realistic right or at least for me that's a really good one um you know lenovo has a headquarters in in north carolina okay didn't know so i i I, yeah yeah so so lenovo is an interesting brand because they, they are chinese headquartered um, they're actually like Chinese American headquartered because they do have a headquarters in, in Hong Kong, one in Beijing. And then like their operational headquarters is, is actually in North Carolina. I would have thought that would have been a target for Haas mm-hmm. um, only because of just purely because of location. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I really, I don't know that to answer that question. It seems like Haas could go after almost any type of American. They should be able to at least go after any American company. Uh, another uh, another brand I thought would be a good fit in, in general in Formula One was Adobe. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. Um, to some extent, so, to some level, just again, based on how the, the, the F1 world is shifting now, right? And, and Adobe powers a lot of what we see online, you know, whether analytics it's video products, or yeah. graphics, they have a lot of analytics and a lot of uh, uh, customer um uh, customer experience products that was that's a good one that and that's one that i've speculated for a while i don't know what their i don't know what their plans are their thoughts are uh in general but it seems like they could be a good fit Haas is Haas is really interesting because you would think that they would be active let's back this up before Earl Kali, you'd think that they were actively trying to go after these American brands, but it seems almost like they take whatever the lowest hanging fruit is. And so that's not necessarily going to get you the top tier brands. Also, I don't know if you can get a top tier brand without top tier drivers. And I don't know if you can do that if you're not, if you're regularly at the bottom of the grid. <laughs> um, you know, who d- does a brand want to tie themselves with? losing constant losing right perpetual losing no so it'll be interesting to see if now that this big push into the u.s is it cheaper it's probably a lot cheaper to sponsor a haas right it's probably a lot easier to get your name your 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 brand on a haas so will we see some smaller brands um attack that um if that's the case i 
I don't have any in mind at the moment. <laughs> you, you know, you know, I, and I'm but, just being a little bit uh, kind of silly here, but uh, you know, wouldn't it be kind of cool to see, say, at Haas F1 Twitter racing? I mean, uh, that you know, that'd be kind of interesting. They get a 10 second uh, stop go penalty. They're they're in Twitter jail. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they, get, they get red flagged. They get uh, they get uh, yeah they get blocked. You know, but I, I'm being a little bit kind of cool. stupid. But uh, I mean, there, there's some no I mean, memes out there that uh, that you would think could be. Uh, I don't think it's. Yeah, I don't think it's stupid though. Like these social media brands should be all over it, mm-hmm. uh, especially a brand like Twitter. Um, we know TikTok has involvement with Aston Martin, and uh, you know that that's a big deal. I think that that can grow because of how big TikTok is for Formula One content creators. Same thing with Twitter. So I think those those are potential, but I don't know. Would again, does Twitter want to? tag themselves to a team or to a losing team. Not sure. Before we go to the break, I just want to mention, so you had Lenovo earlier this month. You had crypto.com with a five-year $100 million deal uh, in June. So obviously now Salesforce, Oracle, and the Google McLaren deal. So like there's a lot happening. There's a ton of money coming in from these tech and crypto brands. Um, I think it's only a matter of time that you see a lot more come in. And very quickly. I think it's very, very quickly. Uh, the Netflix effect is very real. I tweeted that out earlier this week. It is very, very real. I, I'd run some numbers. I'm not, they're not done kind of pulling from the Twitter sphere, but the amount of the volume of people talking about Formula One, especially in the United States, has grown so tremendously that it would be foolish for any American based company to not take a Formula One sponsorship seriously Mm -hmm. let's uh let's take a break and pay some bills because i can see (laughs) daily dancing nervously around his studio let's take a break pay some bills and when we get back and daily i'm dying to hear your feedback on this one a certain alpine team principal is throwing a little bit of shade at his former team let's take a break and we'll be right back hear that Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. As we announced earlier, I'm running the ship tonight. Sorry about that, guys. It's not the typical daily show. Joining us once again is Vincenzo Landino. But before we get started, a quick reminder that if you are listening to us on Apple or Spotify or any podcast platform of your choice, it would mean the world to us if you could take a couple of minutes, give us a rating, give us a review. It really does help us out a lot, and it means a lot to all three of us. Now, before the break, Mark, I alluded to the fact that former Aston Martin team principal Otmar Snafnauer has hinted that it was possibly very difficult to work under new team owner Lawrence Stroll. Now, last year when you and I did the Drive to Survive season three review, one of the takeaways that you had was that Stroll seemed incredibly present and incredibly intimidating. Mm-hmm. And it seems that that might be one of the reasons that Otmar is now no longer 
with the Aston Martin team based in Silverstone in the UK. Your thoughts on this story? Okay, just uh, really quickly before I answer that one, I just uh, wanted to say that we had some comments over the last week just regarding having some issues with uh, playing the show on Spotify. I hadn't heard anything. I reached out to them, hadn't heard anything back. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but... Anyways, I'm unaware of any issues, so if it uh, persists, please let us know, and uh, we'll look into it. Anyways, to ask answer your question there, um, I do like Otmar as a team uh, principal, but I just can't help it, uh, but think, you know, when, when you put it in that light, that uh, for for Lawrence, that perhaps that Otmar was just the guy that kind of came with the uh, came with the team. He was there when he moved into the corner office to take over Racing Point slash uh, Aston Martin, and maybe he just wanted his own guy. Maybe he wanted somebody that. Uh, that works. I wouldn't say that uh, that um, that Lawrence can kind of have under his thumb and can kind of uh, you know have his own syncophantic yes man that will sort of bow down and say yes, boss. I'll do whatever you want, boss. But maybe he was looking for somebody that would operate maybe more in the same sort of um, way that Lawrence is used to. I mean, let's you know face it. A guy like Lawrence Stroll does not become you know super successful in all the businesses that he's had his hand in just purely by luck. I mean, the guy is a phenomenal business man he's taking the the lessons and the experience and the expertise that he's had from other uh, you know areas and other industries and he's putting that now into Aston Martin he's putting that into Formula 1 and obviously he's he's going to be learning in those two um, you know, these two new uh, worlds as well but again i can't help but think that uh, that that this is obviously not a vanity project for him i just can't help but think that he wants somebody more like more like himself that uh, that would be um yeah i mean he's going to do the same thing he's going to in his other business he's going to appoint people that he thinks are are the the most qualified and best suited to run those uh, specific areas of the companies that he has and you know he'll delegate that way and oversee and make changes as he as he needs to as the uh, you know head of the show during an interview with F1 TV during the Bahrain test Otmar is quoted as saying and i quote two popes that's not possible. <laughs> the former team racing owner, VJ Malay, came to the racing car factory maybe four days a year to keep up to date, but he left the work per se completely to us. It was a different way of working than under Stroll, and it didn't work that way. Mm. So it would seem, it would seem based on these quotes, that it was either Lawrence's involvement in the team or possibly Martin Whitmarsh's involvement in the team that may have led to this departure. But you know, I, I know you're a big advocate for Otmar. I certainly am. He did absolute wonders for that team when it was Force India in the early days of being Racing Point. Yeah. When that team had zero budget, struggled to pay its bills, he did a phenomenal job brokering deals to bring sponsors in. The BWT deal, that was all Otmar. He brought that deal to that team to give it a lifeline before it went into administration and was ultimately bought by the Lawrence Stroll Consortium. But I still still think it's unfortunate that he's gone. I am highly suspect of Martin Whitmarsh. I am not a fan of him. I did not like his work yep. at McLaren. I don't like him as a hire. But at the same time, I still have a significant amount of trust in Lawrence Stroll simply because he has a documented history of being incredibly successful. And he propped up that Formula One team, injected a ton of capital into it, and then also led a consortium that took a 25% stake in the Aston Martin road car division to revitalize that one as well. Vincenzo, last year, Daly and I, we were super, super high on Aston Martin going into the season. We clearly underestimated what the changes <laughs> to the floors were going to lead to in terms of their performance. Your thoughts on the story? 
Otmar just throwing a little bit of shade, or maybe he's just being honest about his experiences and what led to his departure from that team. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to disagree with anything you're saying. I, I think that uh, Stroll, at least he seems like a very difficult person to be around and, and work with. Um, of course, when you have a little bit of success or a lot of bit of a lot a bit of success, um, you may think that doing things a certain way is the only way, or or uh, that you can kind of push others around it's it listen it's it's an ego game right all of these folks have very large egos you don't own a formula one team if you if it's a it's an ego stroke right to own a formula one team because it's not for money it's to say i own a formula one team um and then of course you've got folks that are running your team and actually running the day-to-day that are actually involved in what's going on they have a different perspective it's just like running a business right and so when you add too many cooks to the kitchen or popes like um, Otmar mentioned, um, you, I, I don't know. I think you lose the kind of the, the magic. It becomes a very um, procedural and that's not what I, I think a formula one team can run on. It has to be led by someone who knows what they're doing. And like these owners, unless they are Actually, I think all the owners should probably just back off. If you're if you're support supplying with money, it should be very hands off. Let the people that know what they're doing do the thing that they have to do. Um, and we saw that even in Drive to Survive with Dimitri Mazepin, mm-hmm. you know, pushing Gunther so hard Great on call. things. I you you actually felt bad for Gunther. Like, how is he supposed to make a decision when he's saying, "If you don't do X, I'm going to pull your money from you"? Right? Like those types of dynamics are not going to, you know, lead to success. Um, and listen, I'd like to see Aston do well, you know, or Haas do well, but you can't when you're constantly making these types of decisions under duress or pressure from up above, mm-hmm. right? Like at some point, somebody's got to give and get out of the way. You make a really great point. Like when, when you sit here and you look at the big four major North American sports leagues, when has a team ever been successful when you've had an owner that is in the dressing room dictating <laughs> strategy and pushing the coach and the general manager? That never works Absolute out ever. Perfect example. I'm so glad you brought up North American sports because I was just going to say, and I was just talking about this with my brother the other day. Um, the the new NFL league year started and it's already begun for the Cleveland Browns to fall apart because there's a lack of leadership or a lack of like knowing who to look at the Dallas Cowboys another team that has issues Jerry Jones wants to be involved in everything well <laughs> are they, have they won anything in <laughs> God knows how many years no and and the good teams regardless of sport now I, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan if you're a North American football fan like you want you know who the Pittsburgh Steelers are they allow you know each position to do what they have to do the coach coaches the GM does his GM work and the owner stays out of the way right do your thing we'll give you whatever money we can give you to make it happen and that's it you build this way this is our kind of our team philosophy and we'll be successful but the teams that don't get it right are the teams that are constantly changing up leadership. Well, this guy wasn't successful in six months, fired. Uh, this player didn't do well enough in six months, gone. It, it, it translates all across the board. Formula One is no different. Mm-hmm. When you don't allow people to succeed in a position for an, some sort of extended period of time, 
there's no way it's ever going to be, it's ever going to work. Whether it's a driver, a team principal, an engineer, it, it doesn't make a difference. You have to give people, we're human, mm-hmm. right? We have to be given time to succeed without, you know, someone over your shoulder constantly or feeling pressure from somewhere. It's no different. The successful teams know how to do it. The teams that are garbage, no offense to any, and I'm just not just F1, every team, the teams that are the bottom feeders, they're the bottom feeders for a reason. And it usually starts at the very top. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that's unique, uh, Vincenzo, just to to sports. I think that we've all probably had jobs and worked for companies that, you know, you've had that one boss that's staring over your shoulder and has to micromanage everything from the, you know, the brand of coffee in the lunchroom to, Leo, how much did you get done and why isn't this done? And, you know, then just obsessing over the smallest details and compared to, you know, the place that you worked at, I had a fantastic boss that would just delegate and hire people, empower you where you needed it, supported it when you needed it, and just let you get down to work and then, you know, kind of lifts everybody up. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's also scalable, right? I mean, you know, I, I think that these these issues are just magnified the bigger the, uh, you know, the organization is. And I mean, if you've got like an NFL team or a Formula One team that has hundreds or thousands of employees and uh, you just don't have a good leadership uh, structure in place and management structure in place, I mean, that that team or that business is going to go nowhere. I mean, look at McLaren like uh, before five, six years ago. I mean, that team oh, was going great nowhere. point. Great then, point. You know, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, and, and <laughs> I always bring up Zach Brown as the example, but he did a, a great job to come in there, you know, chop the people that didn't need to be there anymore and hired you know, people and just let them get down to work. And I mean, slowly, but well, not actually not slowly, but I mean, in a relatively short amount of time, that team has turned it around. And uh, although they're not challenging for world championships, they've been picking up podiums. They got that one, two in Monza last year, which is a, a great result for them. And, um, yeah, I, I think that they're, that they're a case study. Daily, I, I think, and Atmar made a really, he, he made a statement. He said, the first thing I need to do is learn. Hmm. Learn how Enstone is different from where I came from. To learn everybody's name, learn the personality of the place, the DNA, and just learn. He said that, I remember when I came to Forest India, I was asked, what are you going to change? He says, you can't make change for the sake of change. You have to understand because I'm sure there's a lot of good and why would you just want to change? Mm-hmm. You might might be changing what's good. So first and foremost, deep understanding. Deep understanding doesn't happen overnight. Deep understanding doesn't happen in a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple races. It takes time to develop that, to develop a rapport, to develop a, a true understanding of who you're dealing with. <laughs> Well, I think Ross Braun even this, made those yeah. sort of comments. I mean, if you read his book, uh, Total Competition, I think he said something that getting a team on a championship uh, track was, was took at least three years to get it uh, going and pointed in the right direction because you needed at least a year to come in and figure out how this team operates, what, they, what they're doing right, right, what they're doing wrong. The second year, you start to implementing the changes to get the, the, the ship pointed in the right direction. And the third year, you can start focusing on that and then and building on it and moving forward and hopefully winning races and, and championships. I mean, and, you know, I mean, arguably Ross did a great job in in his time in, in, in Formula One, right? And uh, I, I thought that was like really insightful when, when, when I read that. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Otmar, like you say, Vincenzo, I think that's wise to go in because, you know, just don't make change for the sake of it because you might be throwing away the one part of the operation that's that that's actually productive, that's actually going good. And you can do more harm <laughs> than than have uh, like a positive effect by, uh, you know, making the, the incorrect changes to an organization. 
I love the reference that you made to Zach Brown as well. And and it's funny because people typically point to Ron Dennis mm. as as the catalyst for the failures at McLaren, but I am also I'm also strongly of the mind that Martin Whitmarsh deserves as much credit as Ron Dennis does Mm. for the downfall of that, that organization. And you're right that Zach came in and he was very, very careful and he was very, very, I would say pragmatic, but I think he went in there in the spirit of seeking to understand what was working and not working. and wasn't simply going in there to, to terminate and roll a bunch of heads and just rebuild in kind of the vision that he would expect that team to be. But yeah. I think he's done wonders. And I think the main thing that he's done is built a an environment of, of trust and he's built a really strong culture. Now, with that said, gentlemen, moving on to the next story, Nico Hulkenberg <laughs> is back once again. The 34-year-old driver who has started 182 Grand Prix. Yeah. His first season was all the bait way back in 2010 with Williams. He raced with Force India in 2012, 13, 14, 15, and 16 before spending three full seasons with Renault. He did a couple of spot starts in 2020 with the Racing Point team when Lance and when Sergio were out with COVID. He would have had a third start except for the fact that in one race, Racing Point oh, couldn't get the the card at the starting grid, which was absolutely heartbreaking, but he's back and he's back for a shock reason. Seb on his way back to Bahrain from Switzerland, where he lives, tested positive for COVID. He's gone into protocols. Gentlemen, the season starter is getting spicy. First, last week, we learned that Kevin Magnuson was coming back on a multi-year deal Mm. with the Haas team, which we all celebrated for countless reasons. (laughs) But now Nico Hulkenberg is going to make a shock start, as the British tabloids would say, in the Grand Prix season opener. Your thoughts on Nico Hulkenberg daily. What do you think? Does the Hulk just travel with uh, Racing Point slash Aston Martin just on the off chance one of their drivers is going to get COVID? Because, I mean, (laughs) this is what his fifth time now filling in. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah. I mean, if if you need somebody to fill in, I mean, he's recent enough to Formula One that that, that he can, you know, deputize for, for Seb. Uh, at, a, at a moment's notice. I mean, it's just unfortunate, right? And, but uh, that, that this timing should happen for Aston Martin and should happen for, for Sebastian Vettel. But at least they, they, they got somebody there that's willing to or able to, to, to jump in. But that, that was, I don't know why, like in 2022, that I'm just like, oh my God, a driver got COVID because, you know, I mean, how many people had COVID <laughs> in the last two years? It shouldn't be a surprise anymore. But every time you hear it from within the Formula One paddock, I don't know about you, Vincenzo, but, you know, for me, I've just got like, oh my God. And then I'm just like, well, I guess it's not really a surprise. It's just kind of a reflection of uh, life as a whole, I suppose. Yeah, this is the ninth driver to get COVID. Um, so, it's not really that surprising, no. right, anymore. And this is the fourth time that uh, Nico has come in and subbed for somebody with COVID. So that's, he's just kind of, he's like the super sub, right? <laughs> you know, the super sub in soccer. Like, he just comes in and Nico, he's ready to do up. his thing. It's not, uh, yeah, pretty much. I don't think it's going to be easy for him. Uh, I hope, I hope he does well. But um, it's the, fir- the first time he's going to drive the car is tomorrow morning <laughs> or tomorrow afternoon um, in FP1. So it's not, you know, it's a new car. He didn't get, he hasn't, ha- he probably hasn't even sat in it. Like, is he, is that just going to, is he going to be able to, to, to adapt? You know, I don't know. He's a, he's a, he's a racer. 
He knows what he's doing. Um, he's got experience like Mark, uh, Hamilton, you said, you know, 182 GPs he started. I mean, so he's been there before. Like, I think that pressure is off. And there's literally no pressure on him, right? Zero. Hey, man, last minute, we need you to jump in and do something. You know what? Oftentimes, that kind of stuff, you know, you see a... Uh, in the in the NFL, you see a quarterback come in because the, the, the starter gets hurt and no one's seen the game film on him and he kind of comes in with a little like doesn't matter what I do and he lights it up. Hmm. I think that could be Nico this weekend, but you know, lighting it up in F one could be a top ten finish. Um they they may have the car for it. I think, you know, he's definitely got the um the ability to do it, but uh yeah, it's fun. It, it it's kind of fun. You know, it, it, we're looking at like you said, Magnuson and Hulkenberg. In the same GP, dude. A week after, ago, a week ago, if you right. said K Mag and Nico Hulkenberg are going to start the first race of the season, nobody would have believed yeah, you. You have to be checking the Not calendar, at all. right? And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what year is this? Exactly. Um, no, uh, this is. It, you know, here's the thing. This season already started with kind of like this level of drama, and it's continuing, and it's. But this is not like prescribed drama, right? This is like, this is natural, organic. It's happening. And this is the best part. This is what's enjoyable. This is what I love about Formula One. You know, I, I honestly hope that uh, that he has a good outing on Sunday and he can do something like that he gets a good finish. But I just can't help uh, get the impression that they just want somebody in that car to get it out so that their car is on the track. And just so this, you know, they, they, they can say to their sponsors, you know, well, we, you know. We, we had two cars field in the race, and uh, I guess if he doesn't finish 20th, that would be a win. But who knows? It would be kind of cool to see when, if uh, he could uh, do something of, uh, uh, well, something at all, really. When Nico exited Renault at the end of 2019, he'd raced 180 Grand Prix. Yep. He never scored a podium. He'd had two fourth-place finishes. And Crazy, when right? he came back with Racing Point in 2020, that was a pretty darn good car. And I think a lot of people were excited, like, hey, could this be his second grace, his opportunity to score a podium? And obviously, it didn't happen. But I think people look at this now as like, hey, he's got his third or fourth or fifth reprieve or opportunity to come in and score a podium. So hopefully, hopefully there's some magic in the dust and the sands of Bahrain to make that happen. Now, gentlemen, I think we should probably take one more break. Then we'll come back and kick off our race preview. I think that's what everyone is tuned into. 55 minutes into the show, we're finally going to get there. So folks, we're going to take a couple of minutes to pay some bills. And when we get back, we are going to break into our 2022 race preview segments stay tuned we'll be right back when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Ladies and gentlemen, everybody listening at home, thank you so much for listening. We are now going to jump into our 2022 race preview. Now, I think we need to set this up a little bit because you've all heard so much about the fact that the cars are different, the regulations are different, the finances, the economics of the sport are different, and all of that is true. Mm -hmm. For one, we're going into a 23-race calendar. We've never seen anything like that. This will be the most demanding calendar that the Formula One world has ever seen. And on top of that, the drivers are going to be rocking 
entirely fundamentally different cars. The cars that they're going to be driving when they hit the Grand Prix circuit tomorrow, today, free practice one in Bahrain will be fundamentally different than anything that they have ever driven in a competitive event before. The cars are completely different. And this is all part of Liberty's grand plan. When Liberty came in and they gobbled up Formula One, they, they gobbled up the commercial rights, they saw it and they saw that there was opportunity. But the opportunity lay in a complete reworking of the economics of the sport. And what they saw was a world where you had certain teams that had unlimited budgets that could simply buy championships by outspending other teams, outspend on drivers, outspend on talent, outspend on resources, outspend on the size and the quality of their factory. And Liberty's really reined this back in. And they did it a couple of ways. One, they instituted a cost cap, Mm -hmm. which prevents big teams from being able to spend unlimited amounts of money. But they also did it by simplifying the regulations. And the hope is that by simplifying the regulations, the cars will be closer in terms of speed and capabilities than they ever were before because teams don't have as much creative license to design and engineer solutions when it comes to the aerodynamics and the performance elements of their car. So all of this is culminating in what we're going to see this weekend. Liberty's grand plan, it's been a three, four, five-year project. It all comes together this weekend. So this is possibly the most unpredictable campaign that we've ever seen. Now, gents, there's three of us. If our listeners know anything about us, that we're all incredibly long-winded. I have a list of teams, Alfa Romeo, right through Williams Racing. My thought is we each give 60 seconds, 120 seconds on what you expect to see from each one of the teams. So with that, Daly, I'm going to let you kick this off with Alfa Romeo. So Daly, Vincenzo, myself, you are on the board Alfa Romeo, the C42, they've got two very talented drivers, one that is incredibly young, one who's obviously had five years of experience with Mercedes. Take it away. Well, I would hope uh, for uh, Alfa Romeo that we see some uh, step forward. And, um, well, I mean, they couldn't really do, well, I mean, they could do uh, much worse than they did last year. They could be worse than than Haas. But, I mean, 2021 was a meh season for for Alfa Romeo but I mean they got a hot young prospect in Guan Yuzhu they got uh, a very experienced journeyman in uh, Valtteri Bottas I just wonder how much input has he had into the car and uh, and all that uh, over the over the off season I mean he only went there well I mean probably didn't get uh, much much of an opportunity to help in uh, the the preparations before the end of last season so you would think at uh, at this point uh, his input into the car would be somewhat minimal and just limited to you know, basically the couple uh, testing sessions. So I would like to see something from them. I mean, they're going to be sort of a, a bottom third of the pack kind of team anyways. And I guess for them, if they can kind of get to the the upper level of that bottom tier might be, uh, might be a bit of a win. Vincenzo, what do you think? I think that uh, Bo- Bo- uh, Valtteri is an upgrade over where Kimmy was in his career. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that stand bodes well Definitely. for them. And I think that, um, it still gives them experience winning experience. Um, I'm not sure if they have the car for it. There's that's still yet to be seen. Uh, reliability is going to probably seems to be something they're going to, they may struggle with all year. Obviously a rookie driver, no idea where, uh, where he stands and, and, and how he'll perform, um, in that car. I, I expect somewhere in the bottom for them as well. I'm, I don't think they'll be last. I don't think they'll be above eighth. I think they'll be somewhere in that eight or nine 
um, that's where they'll finish. Um, I think I think if they can put things together and they'll get a little more opportunities to test the car and and and, and work on the car throughout the year, um, I, I think we can see Botas get some points. But that's yeah. about it. There's like other than other than point some points. I'm not sure there's much more there. And I think it'll be a, kind of a really. I don't say a rude awakening for Valtteri, but I think he's going to realize it's not Mercedes. <laughs> how good that, how good that W12, W, you know, all the cars he had there um, at Mercedes were uh, when he, when he jumps into this one, but yeah, no, no expectation for the Alfa Romeo team. Ben had made a really great point in the spaces chat before we started recording tonight that Bottas really struggles when he's in traffic and he's going to see an awful lot of traffic, <laughs> significantly more traffic than he ever saw yeah. in the Mercedes where he would have seen a lot of clean air. You know, Zhu is, is a young driver. He's 22. He's going to make a million bucks this year. I like him. I think he's quite relatable. I love the fact that he's a huge Kobe Bryant fan. He's paying homage to Kobe Bryant with his helmet. There's purple all over his gear. I really like that. Seems like a nice kid. I think for his development being paired with Bottas, who comes with all of that experience that he's earned over the five years with Mercedes is very, very good. Good pairing, good young driver. I don't know necessarily what Bottas is going to be able to wring out of that car. We learned as well in the Spaces chat tonight that we know that they buy their power unit from Ferrari. They made the decision this year as well that they're actually going to develop their own gearbox, which is a little bit unorthodox, and it's a strange place to spend the limited money that you have. So they're going to be pairing a custom in-house gearbox to the Mercedes power unit, which is unusual because typically if you're buying a power unit from a team, you will buy the gearbox that was designed for said power unit. They're also buying or they're also developing the front and rear suspension themselves. So right from the start, I think it's an unusual, I think it's an unusual philosophy in, in car design. I don't necessarily have a lot of expectations for this team. I think Vincenzo, to your point, I think a good result for them any given week would be scoring an eight, ninth, 10th place finishing mm -hmm. and taking a couple of points. I think for them, it's more long-term. And what is their long-term objective? Is it to continue to be a satellite team of Ferrari or to continue to carve out more and more independence as we've seen by signing Zhu rather than keeping Giovinazzi and by developing their gearbox rather than buying that transferable component from Ferrari. So I don't have a high hopes for this team. I think they'll be better than next year or last year, but only maybe. Mm -hmm. Alpha Towery. Moving on, because we want to be mindful of the clock, powered by Honda, you know, Pierre Gasly this year, young driver, 23 years old. He's going to make $5 million this year, being paired with Yuki Sonata. Yuki was obviously a fan favorite with Drive to Survive. He's making 750 k as a young 22-year-old driver. Vincenzo, your thoughts on this team and what the expectations could be for them this year? I think they've got a good package. Uh, um I, I like to see, I, I would think realistically that they've got a shot at fourth. I really do believe that in the constructors. Um, it'll be, it'll totally depend on Sonoda though. If Sonoda needs to mature, we know that last year they, they had to move him out of the UK and into, you know, to Italy to kind of watch over him. And um, I, I, if he can mature a little bit and, and help, because he really provided nothing for the team, right? Gasly was doing really, really well last year um, in that car. No pressure. I think this year he's going to have a little bit more pressure now to to, to keep up or do better than last year. Um, but I, I, I think he's ready for it. I truly, truly do. I think we'll see Gasly perform very well. If Sonoda can keep up, if Sonoda can support 
um, then I think you you know we'll be able to see the Alpha to- uh, Tower team uh, potentially at, you know in a fifth place finish. That's where that's where I kind of have predicted them. Um, but yeah, I mean that. Listen, they've got a known quantity with the power unit. They we have unknown quantities with the car itself, but everyone does. So that's kind of levels that part of the playing Great field. Great point. And, um, you know, you've got a driver, they, they know how to drive in the middle of the pack. Like you just mentioned about Botas. He doesn't, he hasn't been in the back of the pack to, or have to drive in a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. Well, gasoline is not to do They've been doing it. So that is nothing different. If the cars are better at following close, I think that bodes well for those middle of the pack players. And this one, you know, Alpha Tower is a team that's poised to do well because that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Gasly under contract through the end of 2023. Yuki's deal is up at the end of this year. So I think there's going to be some significant pressure on Yuki this year. Oh One of the things I think that we learned last year through the through the media and through Drive to Survive was this was a guy that didn't come mentally or physically prepared for the grind that was Formula One. I love that in Drive to Survive, Christian Horner called it the Franz finishing school when they had to move him to Italy <laughs> to basically get his ass into gear yeah. and help him start to function and operate like a Formula One driver. Tim made that great comment a couple of days ago that, look, if he performed as good as he did last year without any training and in terrible physical shape, what could he do when he's in good shape? So I'm excited for this team. I I know they've ditched the white wheels that I really loved last year. And Daily, I know you love the white wheels as well. But the fact that they are equipped with the Honda power unit right from the jump is, is a great thing for that team. And, you know, Vincenzo, you make a really good point that Gasly and Yuki are conditioned to fighting for spots. And if the regulations create a reality where it's easier to overtake and there's less dirty air, they could be really fun to watch. Daily, your thoughts on on the Alpha Tauri squad? Yeah, very much in line with what uh, what you guys were just uh, talking about. But I can't help uh, but think, uh, you know, Pierre Gasly, twenty six years old, he hasn't really had a crack out. Well, he hasn't had a crack outside of uh, the, the 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 whole Red Bull system, and I can't help but wonder. Could his uh, career use a bit of a boost if he got away from from there? So I know you said he's under contract uh, until the end of twenty three. I mean, Formula One contracts don't really mean all that much, uh, you know. Yeah, very true. Very true. Top of a penny, right? So, well, what is it? How many guys are out of contract at the end of this year? Is it something like ten drivers or something like that? It's 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 quite a bit, isn't it? Pretty much half the grid. Yeah, I can't help but think. You know, I get this this feeling that I think we're going to see a really good uh, season or, you know, I I think from Pierre Gasly, I think he's really going to be shopping himself and um, Yuki as well. This is kind of like a a make or break a year. I mean, he's obviously had some, some issues in his first season in in Formula One. So whatever positive gains he made in the second half of last year, after they moved him from Milton Keynes down to Faenza closer to the team and actually got his butt out of his apartment and exercising and training and all that. (laughs) I just think that, you know, Formula One is just uh, so cutthroat and competitive as it always has been. But, um, and and we know that, uh, that, that Red Bull, regardless if it's the big team or Alpha Tauri, that organization, wherever it is, that uh, they, they can be pretty ruthless with their drivers. So if they don't see something in Yuki that justifies keeping him around, I wouldn't expect to see him back after this year. So like you said, Hamilton, I think the, the pressure's on. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think not only... 
I think, and I want to be careful saying this, it was reported that one of the principal reasons that Yuki was brought on last year was to satisfy Honda, that Honda really wanted to have a a young, talented Japanese driver. And really, Honda now is just a a power unit supplier. Mm -hmm. Their, Their branding has largely vanished from both cars. So if that relationship isn't as important because we know it's being wound down because as it stands, Red Bull's going to stand up their own power unit for 2026. You know what? Maybe that decision is made easier. But that said, I I love Yuki. I love his personality. And I hope he has a a really, really great year because I'd like to see him on the grid for the next couple of years. You know, I'm going to kick the next one off here. BWT Alpine F1 team. I am going to make this mistake a hundred times this year. Every single time I saw them during winter testing, I thought it was racing point. And I'm going to need your help, both of you, to make sure that I don't refer to them as racing point a hundred times throughout the year. They've now partnered with BWT. That was a big sponsorship. It was a big windfall that brought was brought over by Otmeyer when he made the transition from Aston Martin. They now adored a heavily pink livery. You're going to see Alonzo wearing a heavily pink helmet this year. I think this team is a work in progress, and I think there's a couple of challenges for them. I think one of them is that Fernando Alonso is going into his 40th year in this world. He's going into his 20th year in the championship. Formula One. (laughs) No, no. So again, think about it. This guy's now 41 years older. He's going to turn 41 during the championship. He entered Formula One in 2001. He's raced 300 plus Grand Prix. This guy has been through the rigors when it comes to physical, physical, physical commitments to the sport. He was surprisingly sharp last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mentally he's in a much better place than he was with McLaren. I think during his time with McLaren, he was clearly not emotionally invested in that team. He was not getting what he expected with that car, and with that power unit. I think when he left the sport, he was surprised maybe that there was an opportunity for him to come back. So I think mentally he's in a much, much better place than he was two or three years ago. I think he's committed to that team. I think he's very happy to be a part of the Alpine factory and to be a part of that group. I just, I have to think that his age is going to start catching up to him at some point. And it's not like this is going to be an easy year. 2020 was a short year for the drivers. They got a four month break at the beginning of the year after the season was put on hiatus. 2021, that was a grind. It was a 22 race calendar, but it was also structured in such ways to take some of the edge off the drivers. You know, we saw the season conclude with three races in the Middle East, trying to make things a little less hectic. I think this year is going to be a grind. 23 23 races across almost every continent on the planet, and you've got a 40-year-old driver. Esteban Ocon, I think he's a very talented driver. He's making $5 million this year. He's still shockingly only 24 years old. It feels like he's been around for a long time, but I think Otmar has a lot of work to do here. This is a team that has been churning through leadership over the course of the last three couple of campaigns. I think there's work to do. I think their future is bright, especially if they can find another team to sell their power unit to so they can get more data in terms of developing it. I'm not super optimistic for this year. I think they're going to be middle of the pack daily. What do you think, yeah, no, Alpine? Nothing to add to that. Uh, like, like you say, they're, they're a work in progress. They have been since they, they came back into Formula One as Renault in, what was it, 2015? They're a frustrating yeah. team to watch. I mean, they, they've just... Aren't they? Yeah, they, they haven't just been able to get it done. And I, I think that they're just going to be... They'll be low points finishers, you know, and, unless, you know, I, I'd love to be proven wrong and, and for them to just come completely out of nowhere and prove us all wrong. Uh, but I'm kind of expecting middle of the pack and until they prove me otherwise, it's, you know, I, 
just too reluctant to, to, to say anything else. I think just the way that Vincenzo was kind of rolling his eyes and nodding his head. It's like, I don't, I don't think you've got any uh, <laughs> different expectations for them either. No, sixth, sixth is where I have them yeah. uh, on the grid this year finishing. Right. And also, you know, like you said, with such a turnover in leadership, uh, there that signals to me that there's not a lot of expectation short term for mm. success. Um, so, you know, listen, it's it's always tough when you don't have customer cars either. So there's a lot less data. You're dealing with new leadership, trying to interpret from as you know this this little bit of data you have. You've got a, a, a an old the old I think he's the oldest driver on the grid. So you know, Alonzo is so. You know, is he going to want to stick around on this mid middle of the pack team if he's got no shot at losing after this year? You know, that's got to be something they're considering as well. Um, but like Mark uh, Hamilton said, you know, Ocon is a good. I think he's a great young sure. driver and he's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Um, they just, you know, I don't think this is the year they're going to put it together. Alonso made twenty five million dollars last <laughs> year. He's wow. on the books for twenty million dollars this year, so definitely in the top quarter of of driver salaries now he's out of contract at the end of this year so it'll also be interesting to see what they do with him obviously he's valuable to that team because he's he has a deep relationship he won a title with that team in 05 and 06 it'll be interesting to see what happens if they struggle this year and they're consistently out of the points do they look at bringing in another young driver to pair with esteban akon i guess only time will tell now daily the next team i'm gonna let you kick this one off so just to set the stage last year when we were doing our season preview you and i were about as high as we could possibly be on the silverstone based aston martin team we love the car we love the look we love the color we were we were warm on the driver pairing and then they came out flat they realized they didn't have what it took and they were simply going to check out on that year and go all in on 2022 Based on what we've seen in winter testing, we already know there's a bit of a snafu. Nico's going to have to step in for Seb for the first race of the season. Yeah. Where do you put Aston Martin, Aramco, Cognizant F1 team this year? <laughs> How do you think they're going to do? And I know that's a mouthful. That's not going to get any easier saying that full team name all season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, after being so hyped and so pumped for this team last year i i just can't go back there for for this year again like uh, I, I was saying about alpine just now this was a team that uh, that frustrated i mean uh aston martin was a team that uh, that really underperformed and disappointed last year they they just couldn't really get it to, to, together i mean seb had some decent outings but you know more often they were kind of lukewarm lance just couldn't find anything you know, all season long. I mean, he kind of disappointed. So again, I'm, I, it sort of begs the question that, you know, if either of these or both of these drivers don't have a good year, what do they, they, they do from a driver standpoint and do they, did they get it right with the car this year? So I, I don't know. I am, I've, I'm, I'm keeping the bar for, for Aston Martin really low until, um, until proven otherwise. I, I know that's, you know, I'm not being very daring uh, on that, but uh, I, I'm, I'm just not feeling with it from them uh, just yet, guys. So, you know, I'm going to re- reserve and uh, sort of hold back my, my enthusiasm for some of the other teams here. But um, yeah, sorry, Aston, it's, it, it's not you guys. Vincenzo, the car that they brought out to winter testing, to the winter shakedown, looked, and I don't know if you agree, but Daly and I certainly are in alignment that it looked fantastic. It looked absolutely amazing. 
do you have the same reservations that Daly Daly does? Do you did you see anything from this team during winter testing that suggests that hey maybe they should be in the top four, maybe they should be in the top five? Do you have confidence that Seb now in his mid thirties and definitely on the wrong side of thirty, and Lance who looked pretty. I don't know what to say, man. Like I was disappointed with his performance. Are you more optimistic about Aston Martin than Daly is? I'm not. I have them. I mean, I have, I also have Aston Martin in another seventh place finish. Um, and I think that's going to be limited by the, the drivers as well. Not that I think, not that I don't like Seb or, or Lance. I think they're great. I just don't know if they're not great. They're nice guys. <laughs> it seems like, but I don't know if they are great drivers specifically for the cars that were, you know, again, you just said it. Seb is on the wrong side, 34, 35. 34, yeah. Um, I, I know you guys are Canadian, but I don't see Lance being this driver that can carry them on his back or he can, he's matured yeah. enough. Um, and and I, I just don't know if the car is there. I, I, I don't. Um it just feels like it's a like a long term project, and with kind of you know Lawrence Stroll's short fuse combined with all this other stuff, it's like if they don't start doing something immediately, where's that going to land them? Right? Is that going to are, are things going to be shaken up immediately? Are we going to see um, you know kind of that internal combustion? Haha. rim shot. <laughs> um, are we going to see any of that? You know, immediately if they're not they're not, you know, scoring major points. So it just, I don't know, something feels off about yeah. it. They could, com- they could completely surprise or they could completely fail. And I think that's where they're at, right? Like they're they're They could go either way on the spectrum right yeah. now. And, um, I just, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the bottom. My, of, my analogy bottom quarter of the grid, my, my analogy for Lance Stroll is he's, He's the the Andrew Wiggins of Formula One. He comes into the sport. Andrew Wiggins came in first of all, or first of all, draft pick in 2014. Mm-hmm. People were singing his praises. You know, Lance came into Formula One in 2017, fresh off winning the F3 title, goes into a team in a situation that obviously wasn't ideal. Still scores a podium in 2017 in in Baku. Um, finishes or starts on the first row in Italy in a rain drenched qualifying session. He is still only 23 and he has a hundred Grand Prix. Like there are drivers. Nicholas Latifi was two years older than Lance was when Lance is now. So, you know, he he's still very young. I think what I need to see from Lance this year, and I don't know how he can show this to me. I just don't know how much hunger there is there mm. that he has this opportunity. He's clearly very capable. He scored two podiums in 2020. He probably should have had three. He probably should have had a podium in Turkey. He he's he shows these frustrating flashes and you know Andrew Wiggins ultimately did make an all-star team he was on an all-star starter this year but it took him seven eight years to get there I don't know if Lance is necessarily going to have another two or three years but that said he's making 10 million dollars a year and his contract term is undefined so unless I think he has a really disastrous season this year I think he'll be back in 2023 but I desperately need to see something from him because I want to root for him but it's becoming very very easy to see the criticism building and yeah. building and building. And like both of you, I think Seb's in a problematic place because I'm not necessarily sure how hungry he is. He's a phenomenal guy. He's great with social justice causes. He brings so much to the grid in all these different dimensions and all these different ways. But I'm also not sure how hungry he is. And if the team isn't comp- 
competitive this year, I don't know that he's going to be back because he also is out of contract at the end of the season. And he is making this year, I think, $15 million, $16 million. His seat's not guaranteed. In fact, it was widely speculated that they were looking for an out on Seb going into this season, partly because he wasn't willing to commit to the team long term. So I agree with both of you that they haven't shown me anything to suggest they're going to be particularly competitive this year. I want them to. They've got a great power unit. They've married it to the Mercedes gearbox. Let's see what they can do. Now, we've got some more teams to go through, but before we do, let's take another break, pay a couple of bills, and we'll be right back with Vincenzo and his favorite team of all, Ferrari. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Vincenzo, you just took a sip of tea from a Ferrari emblazoned mug. My friend, I'm going to let you take the next segment away. What do you expect from Scuderia Ferrari this year? They're rocking the F-175 all of the pundits, all of the analysts seem to suggest that this will be a top two competitor this year. Are you as optimistic as they are? Do you see some faults with this car? What do you expect to see with the Ferrari this year? It it, it hurts to to be this excited <laughs> about the team this like because there's always expectation when you are the most decorated and historic team in any sport specifically this one. I'm excited because I love the drivers. I love the philosophy that Binotto brought out. If you watch the launch of the F-175, he made it very, very clear that this was team first. This is Forza Ferrari. He, you know, he said that it's, this is about, um, the team progressing is Charles the number one guy? One would think that that's what, like what, you know, I suppose he's the golden boy. Um, I think what Carlos did last year in that car to prove that at the very least, there's no number one. Um, if not, he's a guy that can adapt. He is someone that can be a team player. He can be feisty when he needs to. Um, but what you see from the Ferrari duo, Sainz and Leclerc, is that they work very well together. And I think that if that continues, now now again, if they're fighting for number one, does that change the dynamic? Does that does that change how the two work together? Last year they weren't fighting for for you know number one. They weren't fighting for one or two. It it was kind of that four or five range. So they worked well together. Can they continue that? That's where I you know, that's where I get a little concerned. Do egos grow at that point now where we may be fighting for number one? But if Binotto's philosophy of Ferrari first, let's win the constructors because, you know, he has said many times that, or, and even Sainz has said it, that's what it is. When you come to Ferrari, you race to win the constructors championship. That's what they want to win. Um, I'm excited. I think the car is, the car looks quick. 
I mean, it is, which is strange, right? Because it's like the widest car of, of all of them. Uh, some people said if you compared the Mercedes to the Ferrari side by side, they look like completely different mm-hmm. animals. Um, but I love the philosophy. I love what they've done with the car itself. And maybe they finally have figured out the power unit, which 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 helps because the turbo hybrid era has been so horrible to them. Um, but yeah, you know, like it, it's still when you put those expectations on any team, you 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 know, you're, you kind of set yourself up for for a letdown. I do, I do have them at winning the constructors championship. I think that this is the year they're able to put it together. I think that Red Bull and and Mercedes. Are, are farther behind at least earlier in the year um, because they were so focused on last year's car and Ferrari had the opportunity to really focus on this year's car a lot longer. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm feeling really good about everything that's got, you know, that's going on. Binotto really showed a lot, even in drive to survive. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this, but Binotto spoke only Italian. Now I'm not sure if that was a director's choice or if that was Binotto's choice, but he spoke Italian yeah. only. I felt like that signaled something different, a changing of philosophy or a changing of how they felt about the team where it's like, we are Ferrari. We're going back to what, you know, who we are. And that is, you know, a championship racing team. If the philosophy comes together and everyone believes in that, I think they've started to tighten up things Mm -hmm. technically. Um, Even, even pit stops and whatnot. We started seeing them get a lot better with that, um, which was kind of a down was one of their their weak points for a while you know those those little things those little those those little things add up and if they've i don't want to even say perfected if they've just fixed it 10 percent, i think this team is on that is is right there and 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 i do have them winning the championship so this is going to be very difficult for me because i am here sandwiched between two two ferrari fans (laughs) vincenzo and daily but i'll be honest like i i don't have a ton to add i i feel like I feel like they've recovered. And when I say recovered, you got to flash back to 2019. 2019 was an odd year for them because they had flashes of brilliance. Charles Leclerc wins the race at Monza in front of 150,000 adoring Italian fans. And then all of a sudden, the carpet gets pulled out from under them for mysterious reasons. And they suddenly lose 50 brake horsepower from that power unit. And we can all speculate as to what happened. The reality is, it's very likely that they were doing something untoward or something that wasn't within... Within the technical regulations, they got caught. They had to undo what they were doing. And then the rest of 2019 was terrible. And 2020 for them was a total disaster. They weren't able to recover any of the horsepower. And it was just a battle on the track between Seb and young superstar Charles Leclerc. Charles leaves at the, or Charles, Seb leaves at the end of 2020. You bring in Carlos Sainz. He sat on the sidelines in all of 2020, knowing he was going to come in. Vettel was there all of 2020, knowing he was going to leave. And from a culture perspective, it was a fresh start for Ferrari last year. Bonato was amazing because he played down expectations like crazy all year. It's a three-year project. It's a four-year project. We're not going to be competing. But all of a sudden, here we are, and we come out of winter testing, and you have two young drivers that showed immense chemistry last year. 
tire and you have an incredibly capable car and it looks like they've recovered all of the horsepower that they lost for that mysterious reason in the middle of 2019. Now, Vincenzo, I love your point about the egos and the chemistry. Last year was easy, right? Like they were outperforming expectations. There were no expectations on that team and they finished third in the championship, partly because the drivers were so good, the package was so good, but also partly because McLaren really fell off in the back half of that season. Now, when you look at the team, Charles Leclerc is on an incredibly team-friendly deal. He's making just $12 million a year. He's still an incredibly young driver. He has 80 Grand Prix, so he has a world of experience despite his age. Carlos Sainz came into Formula One in 2015. He's making just $10 million a year. So there's two team-friendly deals there. Not that it really matters because there isn't a salary cap. I think this team is very capable of chasing a constructor's championship if both of these drivers can find poise and they can coexist because the challenge, and Vincenzo, you nailed it, is last year they weren't fighting necessarily for a podium every year or every week. This year they could be chasing race wins, and I would love to see the dynamic between those two drivers when that happens. Daly, are you as high on Ferrari as Vincenzo and myself are? We both think they could be chasing a constructor's title this year. What about you? I don't know if I'm willing to go all in as uh, as much as you guys are, but what I'm going to say is that I think that um, that they, based on like the, the the language and the tone and all the expectations that they've thrown out there publicly over the past uh, couple of years, they're now in that window where they have stated that they they should be winning races. So that's where I'm going to put them at. They should at least be competing for podiums. They should be uh, winning races this year. If they don't, then I'm going to say that there's something seriously wrong because you've you really lowered expectations over the past couple of years. Hey guys, you know what? We got to blow this thing up. We got to build it back up from the ground up. We're not going to be competitive again to 22 or 23 thereabouts. You know, we're looking at the new era of Formula One. Well, hey, that new era is here. So I think you got to put your money where, where, where your mouth is. So if they're not winning races this year, if they're not regulars on the podium, then I'm going to say at minimum, for me, at minimum, that is going to be a disappointment in, in the season. But I do think that they could be in no pun intended a bit of a dark horse um in the season i you know i i'm not willing to go there right off of the bat but yeah vincenzo got the reference <laughs> um but uh, yeah I'm, I'm not willing to say right out of the shoot that uh, i think that they're contenders for one of the two championships but i would think that um i'd be willing to go as far that uh, I, I think it has they, they have it in them and I, i'd like to see it because you know as as they, they they always say ferrari doesn't show up to formula one just to be in formula one ferrari shows up to, to to be in formula one to win formula one and, and let's be fair everybody else wants to be ferrari or do what ferrari d- has done over the past to 70 years i mean and and this is no slight to to mercedes but i mean mercedes want to be ferrari and emulate that success and i mean and mercedes is obviously an iconic and well-known you know car brand i mean i've got one upstairs in the garage so i mean i'm not going to throw any say anything bad about but they're but they're not ferrari when it comes to formula one and racing not yet i mean they've done something amazing over the past uh, you know basically decade and uh, they're they're well on their way but i mean to be the best you have to beat the best and ferrari they've been the most winningest uh, mark in formula one for 70 years so yeah i mean there, there's big f- shoes to fill big expectations and um, i'm expecting a better season from them so i hope they, uh, they they don't disappoint that's for sure from a perennial favorite and a team that is deeply embedded in the historical fabric of Formula One to Haas. 
Haas joined Formula One in 2016. They've been incredibly disappointing ever since. They have not delivered on their initial promise to develop young American talent. They've been embroiled in controversy. They've been married to highly questionable sponsors, both with Eurocali and with Rich Energy. But things seem to be a little bit different right now. And really? boy, have things <laughs> changed in the past three weeks, right? You know, three weeks ago, this was a team that was dripping in oligarch money. This team is now 100% free of. Of oligarch money and fertilizer guy. You're right. He's a fertilizer guy. He's just a fertilizer guy that has personal one-on-one meetings with Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin in front of TV cameras. So, and I say that knowing all the horrible things that are going in Ukraine, and I do not want to take away from that for a minute. But I, I feel like there's a lot of relief in that team. And I think there's some really great people. And I think they've been subjected to a really bad culture for the last couple of years. They've been in that situation where there was huge distraction because of the rich energy tie up and the fact that that fell apart mid season. Mm. I think they were under intense scrutiny last year because there was the tie up with the PR nightmare that was Nikita Mazepan. And then this year would have going to be absolutely untenable with your colleague and absolutely unmanageable. If Nikita Mazepan was still there, the sponsor and Nikita Mazepan are both gone. They brought fan favorite Kevin Magnuson back. He started his formula journey all the way back in 2014 when he had a very successful 11th place finish in the championship. He left at the end of 2019. It was well-documented in Drive to Survive. He's back. Now, I have no expectations for this team this year. The reality is anything could happen. They didn't compete at all last year. They scrapped all of their resources into that this year's car. They completely checked out on 2021. They were terrible last year, but it was by design. It was because they committed all of their resources, every single person at the factory to designing and developing this car. It is married to the Ferrari power unit, which as we stated a couple of minutes ago, should be very, very capable. This is going to be a very different Haas team that we've seen before. It's suddenly much more likable. We still don't know what Gene Haas's long-term intent is with this team. We should expect, as Vincenzo, you've said multiple times, we should see a large-scale, big-time sponsor tie-up coming in the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months. The identity, the livery could change. I think there's a breath of fresh air in that team. I think the team can breathe. I think the culture is going to improve, but I don't necessarily expect them to improve too much on the track. Daily, were you as relieved as I was that you're a collie, that Nikita Mazapan are out, and that Kevin Magnuson, somebody I wasn't expecting to see return to Formula One, is back in the cockpit? Yeah, it certainly has a, uh, a bit of familiarity about it. I think, uh, you know, he he was, uh, you know, fit well with the team when he was there, but, you know, I don't really have too much else to to, to add to them. I mean, they, they've been, again, one of these sort of teams that have, uh, you know, they've been perennial disappointments and frustrating. I mean, they, they had some, so showed some promise early when they came into formula one and uh, they they've slowly dropped off uh, since then so i don't know i mean if the you know 10th ninth in the constructors this year would be a bit of a win from them but um i i don't know <laughs> i i've really kind of soured on them as a as a team they've just uh they, they've done more things wrong than right and uh yeah i don't know i don't know i I completely agree. Mick Schumacher, the 22-year-old, yep. is under contract through the end of this year for $1 million. Kevin Magnuson has signed a multi-year deal at $6 million a year that will take him through the end of 2023. He's not a young driver. He's 2029. Vincenzo, while you can bask in the glory of Ferrari and all things Italian, I also feel that you have to... Ass- Take some of the blame for Haas because Haas is so deeply embedded in Marinella in that they buy every transferable component 
from Ferrari. They have an office near the Ferrari headquarters. Do you do you accept that blame that some of Haas's failings are yours by extension of your fandom and your linkage to Ferrari? No, because <laughs> you know what? Um, uh, money can buy you a Ferrari, but doesn't mean you can drive it, right? Um, money can buy you a seat in Formula One, <laughs> like some people. It doesn't mean you're going to make it out of turn three. Um, no, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point around Haas. I think, I think we might get some exciting, you know, we might get some exciting driving from, from Magnussen. Um, could be, could be interesting to watch. It, it's going to give us a little bit more uh, reason to follow them, but I, I don't, I don't see them finishing. I mean, I have them, I have them at tenth on my power standings here. Um, there's just too many other issues for them to, I think, overcome. There's nothing there that to me is like, okay, this is, this is, they've got some potential, right? There's nothing that gives me that feeling about them. And, and their history proves pretty much the same thing. So yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't need to keep going with, with Haas. I think they're, they're at the bottom of the pack. They, if they score a few points this year, I'd be, I'd be shocked. And I think that'll just be from sheer, um, craziness on track and and they may have that opportunity with with someone like a magnuson who has experience and is able to to kind of yeah. navigate that yeah. but that's yeah. daily you're laughing yeah. and i i know it's because you're looking at the commentary in the live chat and there's some folks in there that are very confident that they're not only going to score points this year that they could also be chasing podiums and while i'm sure they'll score some points this year break that streak they didn't score any points last year i'm not at all confident that they will be chasing podiums again i think we're all rooting for mick i just don't think he's going to be ultimately successful until he gets into a better car daily i'm going to kick the next one over to you so this is a team mclaren they finished third in the championship in 2022 or 2020 huge success huge recovery they made the transition seamlessly to the mclaren or to the mercedes power unit last year they were very clear they were chasing third in the championship it didn't happen daniel ricardo despite mm-hmm. the win in monza was pretty disappointing last year he certainly wasn't on pace with his teammate lando we learned a lot about the chemistry and the dynamic between the two of them and drive to survive they fell off at the end of the year ferrari scooped up third place what are your expectations for the mercedes powered mclaren team this year daniel ricardo came to the sport in 2011 32 years old Lando, 10 years younger at 22. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I think you make a couple of good uh, points there. And I, I, I think uh, they totally dropped the ball in the second half of the season uh, last year. I mean, that, that was a phenomenal uh, result that they had at Monza with the one, two. I mean, there there were some, you know, it was just uh, one, one of those ones that uh, you, you don't see happen every day. But I mean, it was a feel good story. I mean, I just uh, felt at that point, okay, maybe this is the, the moment when Ricardo really turns his uh, season around. And it wasn't. I mean, he's been a, a bit of a frustrating guy to watch over the past couple of years. He just uh, hasn't uh, been able to find the same form that he had with uh, with Red Bull. And I mean, okay, the, the Red Bull in 2018 was a lot better than the Renault that he had for 2019 and 2020. I mean, the McLaren was a little bit better, but obviously that did not suit him as well as it did Lando. I mean, not that that car was uh, specifically designed around Lando, but he was certainly used to how that car you know operates, how it drives, and how to, to, to maximize because Ricardo, I mean, you could see just in uh, you know, the, the different interviews and different clips from D- DTS that, uh, you know, he was just very frustrated at uh, times. And you, you could just tell, I mean, he just did not look comfortable in that car all season long. But 
And I think that is uh, basically where, you know, I mean, we can say collectively they dropped the ball, but I mean, I think that the, the fact is, is that uh, Ricardo just wasn't getting the, uh, the, the, the results that he needed to uh, really, um, you know, help them along in the constructors there. I mean, you know, good for Ferrari because they, they didn't expect to be at that point in the constructors uh, championship uh, last year. So you can kind of say that they snuck into a th- third place, but I mean, over the course of the entire season, over 22 races, they were just more consistent. Consistent. I mean, they, they didn't win any races, you know, they, they were, they were there or thereabouts and they, they just collected the points that they needed. And that, that's why I think that, uh, that, that with, with science and Leclerc, I think they got one of the strongest drivers, uh, lineups in, in formula one Lando and, and, uh, Ricardo on paper. I think that's a good uh, driver pairing, but Lando, I, I think, uh, you know, if you put him in one of the top cars, I think we would see him winning races and on podiums, uh, more often. And Ricardo for me, is still a bit of a question mark. I mean, I know that these cars are new for both of them this year, but I'm, I'm going to be looking at that delta between Lando and Ricardo all year, especially if Lando gets off to a good start of the season and uh, Ricardo still kind of continues to, to struggle. I mean, he was a good driver once, and I just can't help but wonder that, you know, is, is he past it? And I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure just yet, but... Yeah, I, I would think that uh, they would be aiming for for top three, you know, aiming for some podiums and perhaps if things go their way with a bit of craziness or something like that, that uh, maybe they would, uh, you know, aim to win a race. But uh, again, I mean, we, we still won't get a real good feeling to how these cars compare to one another for, for another couple of days. So, I, I mean, I'm basing some of my judgments for all of these teams based on historical data and, and things like that. So, I mean... That that's where it at, that, that's where it is. But I mean, on paper, this is a top three, four team. I mean, anything less than fourth would be a disaster for them, and I, I'm sure that even fourth in the the constructors would be a, a disappointment for them. You make a great point. Yeah. You know, you look at you look at Monza. They score that one two in the eight races yeah. following that to finish the season. They cratered and didn't score another podium. Vincenzo, this is a team that, despite despite its relative struggles on the track last year, is an absolute blockbuster home run when it comes to marketing and sponsor tie ups yeah. and yeah. its presence off the track. And I think there's been some data yeah. points suggesting this is possibly the most popular team in Formula One in the United States. What do you expect of this team this year? And furthermore, why have they made such great cultural inroads in the United States, despite the fact that they haven't really competed for a championship in more than a decade? Zach Brown is an incredible marketer. Mm. Uh, Daniel Ricardo is incredibly marketable. He is, he, he, he actually fits in so well with the American fan, right? Texas, the, the North Cali, American totally fan base. Agree. Well, he's like he's a Buffalo Bills <laughs> fan, you know, and the Bills, <laughs> a, a, an NFL team, right? Massive fan base. So you've got like a lot of these people. They're like, I love Daniel Ricardo. Um, Texas. I mean, he kind of hams it up for for you know Texas, and he knows how to do it without being like insulting. It's actually like it, mm-hmm. it suits him. Um. But to, you know, Daly's point, is he, is it, I don't know, you know, is he, does he still got it? Does he still want it? I'd like to think he does, but you know, it, it, a season like last year has got to take, you know, take a toll mentally on you. We saw, you know, in Drive to Survive showed some things where, you know, he, he had kind of, you know, didn't even want to talk to the media, just kind of walked away and, 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 and whatnot. Um, 
you know, do I have to talk to the media? I think was one of the totally, totally. Things how that much he's, and then they're yeah. like, it's not worth the fine. Talk to the media. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How yeah. much is the fine? Right, right. So, you know, you've you want to see someone like that who is a proven, you know, winner. He's he's a likable guy. You want to see him do well. Everything points to this car being suited to his driving style. Um, I know they had some braking issues in Bahrain. I don't know if they fixed them or if they're going to fix them. We're starting in 10 hours, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I don't think they were that great in testing. They did put in some good laps. They put in some good times overall. Um, I'm not a huge Lando fan. I, I know that you know everyone's like, all the McLaren fans are going to come out and whatever boo me, but I'm just, I'm not a huge Lando fan. I think they are a fourth place finisher this year. Um, I don't know if I don't like the pairing either. I, I, you know, I think Lando is, I think that when he had to kind of let Daniel win Monza, when he, that was really the biggest opportunity he had all season to get a win his first win. I, I think that that kind of stays. I really truly believe it stays with him. Um, he seems pretty, I want to say he's like, a, he, he's very shy. He seems all, like at least watching online, how he interacts with, with, uh, fans and whatnot. I just, there's also a little bit about him that I feel like he could snap at any moment. So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't love the dynamic there. And I don't think that they are, they have everything together to push top three. So I give them a four, I give them fourth place again. Um, I think that's right where they are where they are at at this point of the season. We'll see if anything changes, but to the marketing perspective, Zach Brown is, is incredible. The, the man knows what he's doing. Um, they are very, they, they seem to know exactly how to, you know, use social media, use digital uh, uh, media to attract the, the, the crowd. They know how to create content that is actually interesting and engaging. And so that's what continues to like buoy them as a brand um, and keeps them interesting, which is important, right? That keeping that interest high, it's the same reason why a Haas doesn't have sponsors, right? Because they, you can't keep interest. You can't, no one wants to put their name on something that, you know, no one wants to look at. Yeah. And I think that's what McLaren does yeah, really, sure. really well. I think I think you both make some really great points. I think my concern is obviously I don't know how much we saw out of Daniel Ricardo last year. He's 32 years old. He's going to turn 33 during the season. He's been on the grid since 2011. He's been successful. He has eight race wins. He scored 32 podiums. He's going to make $15 million this year. He's out of contract next year. Of course, his teammate Lando Norris has much more security. He's going to make $20 million this year. He's under contract through 2025. I'll be very curious to see what that dynamic looks like this year, especially if Lando is successful and Daniel isn't. I think that's going to bring a lot of unwanted attention to this team. Very much like it did heading into Monza last year when there was constant speculation and constant reporting on why Daniel was struggling. I think they probably will finish fourth, maybe fifth, but I think it's going to be a byproduct of the fact that the rest of the midfield hasn't quite caught up to them 
yet. Gentlemen, we've got a couple more teams to get through and then a couple of quick predictions before we run into our race preview. We're definitely running a little bit long tonight, but why don't we take one more break, pay a couple more bills, and then we're going to come back. We're going to look at Oracle Red Bull. Vincenzo, you're going to lead that off, talk a little bit about Williams, and then get into our hot takes and our predictions for the season before we take a quick look at Bahrain, which is the first race of the season. Everyone, we'll be back in five. Thank you for staying with us. This is a marathon of a podcast, but it's what you've been asking for for weeks. It is our season preview. So far, we've discussed Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, Alpine, Aston Martin, Ferrari, Haas, and McLaren. We have two teams left. Vincenzo, I'm going to kick this one over to you right away. Red Bull last year, they didn't manage to win the constructors. Some could say, hey, it was because Bottas came and performed big for Mercedes. You could criticize Perez and argue that he maybe didn't give enough to that team in the chase for the constructors championship. Either way, they took what they really wanted, the big prize, which was the driver's championship taken by Max Verstappen at the very last lap of Abu Dhabi. This year, they're coming back with a completely worked re worked RB18, but they are carrying over that immensely powerful Honda power unit and something of a surprise. We kind of assumed that Honda was going to back out. Honda will continue to supply them with power units right through the end of 2025. They look good on paper. They were phenomenal in winter testing, and there's every reason to be optimistic for them this year. Your thoughts are the pundits, are the analysts right? Is this team a favorite to take one or both of the championships? What do you think? I think I, I think it's it would be foolish to write them off. Uh, they've had success, and m- where I look at the difference between them and a Ferrari is where they are so focused on Max Verstappen. You know, the, Horner is it's all about Max, and you hate to think that. You know, you've got a great. I think Sergio Perez is is an excellent driver, fantastic number two, but they would r- be willing to risk his race if it meant Max is you know staying on the track. Whereas you don't see that with a team. I don't see that with a team like a Ferrari. They want both drivers out there scoring maximum amount of points. It's a team game. I think that's what hampers them. What's going to hamper them again this year? So I have them. I do have them second, obviously behind Scuderia Ferrari, and I, I think again they're going to try to win. Max has won number one. He's going to want to defend the title. Definitely not going to want us to have Lewis win. You know, win and kind of beat him out with all this drama going on. Um, I think that's their biggest thing because the car clearly is it's quick. I mean, they came out there and. You know, at first it was like, oh man, the, the Red Bull's not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, Max just goes out there, blistering pace. Um, so I think they've got the car. They, It's going to be a chemistry thing. I think it truly will be a chemistry thing for, the, you know, we're talking sh- purely constructors. It's I don't think the pecking order there is set up for them to win a um, constructors, just like last year. They sacrificed constructors for the sake of Max winning the driver's championship. Drive to Survive also showed us a little bit about where Christian Horner's mind is at. You know, he's telling his kids, uh, don't you want to see Max win the championship? You know, like that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's all about Max. It's mm-hmm. all about Max. It's all about Max. And that's great if you want to win the driver's championship. But if you want to win the constructors, it's got to be a team game. And, you know, we've seen them with other drivers in the past where they just, 
they don't, just like we were talking about at the top of the show, they didn't give enough time for these second drivers to really, truly, you know, get comfortable in a seat. And, and they've given that to Perez, I think to an extent, and the pressure will be on him a little bit more this year to perform. And I think that's going to be where they, where they break up. It'll be a chemistry thing. They'll finish second in the, the constructors. Um, yeah, Miss, Mr. Daly, mm-hmm. Max is now furnished with a new multi-year deal that should take him through 2026, at which time he will be making upwards of $50 million a year. Sergio Perez making just $8 million this year and out of contract at the end of the season. Vincenzo made a good point. What does what does the chemistry have in store for these two this year that obviously the team Sergio Perez they were willing to do everything it took last year to take the important chip to take that driver's title will Sergio Perez be content doing everything possible to support Max again this year will the chemistry be as good what do you see 2022 holding for for Red Bull and the two drivers? Well, that's a great question. And uh, I, I think we saw what uh, they, they expect from Sergio at Abu Dhabi, the way that he really ran interference and held Lewis up there during the, you know, after the pit stops and everything. Perfect and just, example. Th- that's what they need. And then they need him to deliver that. I mean, it took him a while to really settle in there. And like you say, he's in his last year of his uh, contract at, uh, at Red Bull. <coughs> So, I mean, he's very much uh, auditioning to stay there uh, beyond this year. But I, I don't know, from a consistency point of view, I, I, I don't know. I'm not really feeling it uh, just yet. I mean, as Vincenzo so rightly uh, pointed out, they, they've they've built this, uh, you know, what, what appears to be some very good foundational blocks and building uh, a car. And they got the driver there to potentially set themselves up for a run at a number of championships. Now, whether or not they can do that is another, uh, another question. But, I mean, just from... A statement point of view it's it's not just enough to to win that championship last year because l- let's face it one way or another that championship even though in the record books it just says max verstappen 2021 formula one world championship in many people's minds that's that championship has a big fat asterisk uh, beside it so i mean right you have to right. come back and you have to win it again this year legitimate well i wouldn't say legitimately but i mean you need to to underline that and say hey that just wasn't a fluke that we were just in the right place at the right time and stole that win to for for our guy to win the championship you have to come back because they had a they had a really good car last year and max did phenomenal all season long and i mean regardless lewis or max what both of those guys were going to be worthy champions uh, last year but like i say i mean there is you know you know there is an asterisk beside that un, un, unofficially but i think just from the point red bull v mercedes you have to come back and win one or both of those championships uh th- this year just to say you know we're we're for real guys you've had your way since 2014 but you know what we're legit we're coming at you we're not going to let you run away with it each and every year now but i'm not entirely convinced just like vincenzo is that uh, that they're a hundred percent all in on the constructors thing i think that if they see an opportunity for max to win another championship they're gonna they're gonna go that way and if that means that they don't win a constructors then um you know that you know so what you know it's maybe not a big of a priority i mean at uh, at uh, at mercedes it's almost the other way around i mean as phenomenal as it been for 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 lewis and and for mercedes to win all these drivers championships they are just equally if not more thrilled for the uh you know the constructors as well i mean there there's that 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 definite vibe there so 
I would think that, uh, you know, they have to be favorites. Like, uh, you know, we've seen during testing, they've had some, some very good, they've set some very good uh, lap times out there. So, you know, they, they appear to be one of the favorites uh, right out of the chute here. So they, they, they got to deliver and uh, need to get off to a, to a fast start if they're going to have any hope uh, to stay ahead of uh, Mercedes, especially if uh, the Silver Arrows, you know, struggle to start the year. Look, I, I I think we would all agree that if Max has a great car, he is going to be competing for race wins every single weekend. I, I think the real question mark, the unknown for Red Bull this year is Sergio Perez. Mm-hmm. And if you look at last year, I think the best comp for him, it's not Lewis, it's it's not it's not Max. His comp last year was Valtteri Bottas, yeah. and Valtteri Bottas scored 226 championship points. Sergio scored just 190. Valtteri scored 11 podiums. Sergio scored just five podiums last year. Like there was a very significant delta and all of that was okay because like the two of you said, Red Bull got what they really wanted, which was that chip for that chip for Max. This year, I agree with both of you that a successful year for them, especially if Mercedes falls off this year, a successful year for them is going to be taking both titles, not one of them, but it's going to be taking both of them those titles. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple more teams to get through quickly here. Williams Racing Daily. This is a team that both you and I have an incredibly soft spot for. We grew up with this team. They haven't won a championship since 1997. They went through an ownership transition in 2019. The, the Williams family stepped away. Dalton stepped in, took over. I still believe it's a front for the Volkswagen group if and when that ever does happen. It feels like from an infrastructure perspective, they're putting things together. Yas Capito is a great person. You've got incredibly young, talented, future world champion, Nicholas Latifi, Alex (laughs) Albon, 38 races of Grand Prix experience coming back after a year off. Where do you see this team this year? Do you think they've made some strides? Is this one of the teams that will benefit from the new regulations? Or do you think they're still doomed to finish in that 8, 9, 10 spot? Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, they they made, uh, you know, are necessarily, I want to say shackled to say 10th or 9th in the championship. But I don't think it's going to be much loftier than that. I, I, I do feel that like a bit of positivity around this team. Last year, I mean, they did score some points. And where did they finish up? Was it eighth in the championship uh, last year? Yep, yep. So yeah, that, that's kind of where I see them uh, finishing this year. I mean, as much as, you know, again, I, I love Nikki, uh, you know, Canadian driver. I mean, you know, I, I just... If he can score some points, uh, you know, sort of uh, low points finishes, that's what I'm kind of uh, expecting. Alex Albon, I mean, he, I'm I'm not really 100% uh, convinced. I'm, I know the guy's got talent, but I mean, he wasn't able to really prove it when he had a really good car. You know, uh, I, I mean, obviously, the that wasn't a championship uh, caliber uh, Red Bull when he was there, but still, it was a Red Bull. I mean, it was capable of podiums, and uh, and, and Max was still winning races with it. Uh, so, I mean, th- there was that. So... I think for for Williams, it's a good driver lineup if your team like Williams, but you know, I don't really expect more than that. I still think they'll be a bottom third, but I, I would love to see more. I mean, uh, you know, sentimentally, this is a, a team that I grew up with, and um, I'd love to see them do more. And uh, whether or not uh, Yost and the boys uh, can do that, I'm not sure yet. So I'm going to reserve judgment, but I, I'm kind of predicting bottom third of the pack love to see them higher but don't know if that'll translate to into reality or not 
Vincenzo, Alex Albon, 25 years old. He's out of contract at the end of this season. Nicholas Latifi, 26, also out of contract at the end of the season. What do the two of these drivers need to show this year? What do they need to do on the track to ensure that they have a spot on the grid come 2023? Because if they're unsuccessful, if the team isn't great, you have to think that Dalton might be looking at other places to, to, to fill those roles. I mean, anything short of points finishes for these two drivers is going to be pretty bad. Um, I think they've got to get some sort of, and I, you know, points. We're talking points, 10th. I'm not saying they got to do it, you know, 10 times this year, but they've got to at least fight for that at some point. Um, qualifying is going to be very important for them. Like, do they have that one that one lap speed that other teams can say, okay, they've, they've, they've got something there. The car might not be up to par, but they're, they're showing us something. Um, you know, two, two young guys that have some talent and, and it's really like, it's hard to judge anybody in, a, in those types of, in these types of cars that are at the bottom of the pack. Right. Because, you know, it yeah, takes both. Fair. It's a driver and, and a machine that have mm-hmm. to work together to truly, you know, do something. And and right now they just, you know, Williams hasn't proven that they can put a package together for anybody to drive it. Right. I don't think Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen can sit in those cars and, and, and do well enough. Right. Um, and when, you know, when you're in the last year of a contract, you're pressured to do a little bit better. And Formula One, the name of the game is performer. You, it could potentially be your the last time you're ever driving the car, right? I mean, you could realistically not be in a car next year or ever get a seat again. Um, and with Doralton, you know, they are another. They are capital. That they're, they're. It's a business. They want to see a return on their investment. They need to attract sponsors. They need to attract, uh, you know, partners that want to grow with them. Are they going to go in and want? American drivers that would create a lot more splash and bring in some of that tech money we were talking about. You know, that's a that's where I think you know you're thinking immediately when you think about Williams bringing it back to glory is is finding the partners that they can they can build off of and and then taking them. You know, I say I say glory. It's it's a long ways away. I've got them at ninth in the championship as well, but it's a long ways away to get them to the midfield. And then eventually win championships, but you know that starts with with drivers that can uh, that can attract some sponsors. And I don't know if you know I don't know if these two are, are it, but I, I like them both, and I, I hope that they have some luck this year. I'd love to see them do something um, in that car. Maybe get you know like like George did last year, get lucky a little bit. That'll help, and I think that boosts confidence. But I don't know. There's really no re- there's no indication that that's <laughs> in the cards. Sadly, I think my my. My eternal optimism lies in Nicholas Latifi. Uh, of course it but, does, because you're Canadian. Okay, okay. Cool your jets. Cool your jets. Uh, I, I, I think that this is going to be a make or break year for him, yeah. to be totally honest. And I just Agreed. hope that Williams has put together a package that's going to enable him to score some really consistent points finish. And Mark, like you, I'm not necessarily as high on Alex Albon as a lot of people are. All right, moving on to the final team before we get to the most important part of the show of all, our predictions. We've got to touch on Mercedes daily. I'm going to pass it over to you first. This is probably this has probably been the most 
problematic winter testing that Mercedes has experienced since 2012, 2013. They really, really struggled. And it looks like it looks like they have some fundamental issues with this car, with balance. It looks unstable in corners. They're seriously struggling with the porpoising issue. They can't seal the airflow under that car. Lewis Hamilton, as always, is proving to be a little bit pessimistic in the media. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's sandbagging. Sometimes that's by design. But a lot of the analysts, a lot of the pundits have Mercedes not finishing first, not finishing second, but potentially finishing third after both Red Bull and Ferrari. Based on what we've seen, we know that George Russell is joining uh, Lewis Hamilton this year. What are your thoughts? What are your expectations for this team? Yeah, well, I'm not ready to uh, write them off despite the, the 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 struggles that they've had. I mean, we've seen over the years that even though they are kind of like little blips uh, compared to out and out, uh, you know, disasters with the car. I mean, we, we've seen them before. They've had a couple of bad weekends. They go away for a couple of weeks in between races and they turn it around and they become uh, unbeatable. I mean, yeah, they, they only won one championship uh, last year, but still, I mean, until, you know, proven that, uh, that this is for real and not just uh, some you know shakedown and dialing the car in issues. I'm 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 not ready to to write them off uh, by any stretch of the uh, the imagination. I mean that having been said, perhaps the 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 the, the problems are real. It's not just uh, you know writing themselves off or lowering the expectations in the media that uh, are you know completely contrary to uh, reality and they're just kind of you know blowing smoke everywhere. But I mean fundamentally, it looks like there's uh, some issue uh, with with the car, and that's why I was saying a little bit earlier. I mean if if that is the case, then it's imperative that Red Bull get off to a, a quick start because if there's anybody that I can count on to to, to turn things around, then uh, you know it would be a, uh, would be Mercedes. And I think that the uh, the driver lineup that they have with uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, I think, is an extremely strong pairing. I mean, we've seen what George has done with some pretty inferior equipment at uh, at Williams. I mean, it was a regular out of uh, Q1, which you know in and of itself uh, does not seem like uh, quite a feat. But I think you know for the cars that he's had in his uh, career so far in Formula One, you know, I think is uh, fairly impressive. Uh, I mean, that time he deputized and filled in for Lewis and Bahrain at the end of 2020 and the way that he got his elbows out at the start and pushed uh, Valtteri out of the way. And, you know, the, despite, you know, the botched uh, pit stop and the the puncture and everything he had, because I think he finished at, what, eighth or ninth in that race, was yeah. not, uh, you know, a, you know a, a true indicator of how well he actually did that entire weekend. Uh, so I think a driver pairing, they're strong. I'm just really, you know, going to hold back until I see what this car is really capable of because, you know, we could be sitting here on Sunday night when we sit down, guys, to to recap this race and be like, well, well, geez, uh, <laughs> Mercedes, weren't they good this weekend? So we'll uh, we'll 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 wait and see. But um, yeah, I mean, possibly if they were to finish as low as third in the constructor, I think that that, that would just be complete meltdown mode at uh, at the at the factory there. That would be a true out and out disaster for a team that has extraordinarily high standards. Vincenzo Lewis just turned 37 years old. His first year in the Formula One championship was 2007. He has seven championships to his name. The only other driver with that many titles, obviously, is Michael Schumacher. He was on the verge of scoring his eighth last year before the outcome in Abu Dhabi, which we do not need to rehash. We do not need to. We do not need to litigate that right now. Has he got the package? 
Have Mercedes equipped them with the tools necessary to take a run at number eight this year? Or is this going to be a situation where they're going to be competing for third in the championship? And maybe he and Russell get into a bit of a tussle because for the last five years, we've had a second driver on that team who very clearly understood what his role was. And his role was to help win constructors and allow Lewis to win driver's titles. What do you envision for Mercedes in 2021, 2022? I have them. I have them third. So I, I think they are. They will fight Red Bull in that second third. Um, I, I think they're downplaying quite a bit. They're how slow they are. Oh, we're slow or whatnot. Twenty nineteen. They claimed that Ferrari was. Look at that. I said. It, I even said it wrong. Ferrari. <laughs> Better. Um, Thank they, you. They. They said. I think Ferrari's advantage is potentially half a second. I have no reason to expect that to come down. 2019, they won the title with four rounds remaining. Uh, wow. Hamilton clinched his championship with two rounds to spare. For Ferrari only won three of 21 races. 2020, they claimed normally in preseason testing, we've got uh, much more confidence in the reliability. So it's definitely not an easier, relaxed scenario for us. 2020 result, Mercedes and Hamilton won the championship with four and three rounds remaining. 2021, um, I wouldn't call it a struggle necessarily. We're just not quick enough. 2021 result. Obviously, Mercedes won the Constructors' Championship. Hamilton lost on the last mm. lap of the season. So, I, you know, it's like a cry wolf situation with them. I, I don't believe what they're saying there. Um, but I do think some of the struggles are things we should be watching out for. I think the last time they brought a brand new package to the second half of testing, they struggled early on. Um, I want to say that was 2019. Um, I think they struggled early on and they figured it out. That's where Mercedes strength is. They figure things out. They're able to adjust like Mark was saying. I think the difference this year is that you you don't have that driver, that second driver who is clearly second fiddle. George knows he is the next leader of this team, or I will say leader, but he's the next number one on this team. Does George want to prove it now? And does he want to prove that he's worth the mm-hmm. hype? If that's the case, you know, how does that mesh with Lewis? Lewis hasn't I don't want to say he hasn't been pushed, but he hasn't been pushed in five years, really. Um, well, at all. And the last time he was, was with Rosberg. I'm not saying this is exactly that situation. I'm sure Toto would, would work to make sure that doesn't happen. But I do think George is a little bit of a, he's kind of full of himself, at least from what I've seen. I think he's really focused on, you know, I want to win. I think the whole Latifi, like a lot of people will reference that Latifi last year, like sacrifice my race for Latifi. Yeah, dude, you sacrificed it because you were in 12th. Like <laughs> you weren't fighting for number two or three. Are you going to sacrifice your race for Lewis if you're fighting for that you know, podium? I don't think so. I, I don't see it. Um, and so you know, chemistry to me, again, we're talking about chemistry. I think that's where we could see some fireworks. They'll definitely figure things out. The car will be okay at some point. Uh, but if they, you know, if early on they struggle and they, lo- they lose ground, then it'll be interesting to see how they have to like pick up the pace to, to catch up. Um, so it'll be, inter- it'll, that'll be interesting to watch again, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, when, you know, we talk about it again, if they blew the competition away by three seconds or something like that, then it's a whole different conversation. But, um, their aero package is very, very different 
They've had a lot of balance issues. I still think the car is fast. I think they'll figure it out. But that's where, like, could we see some, some, you know, other teams need to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. That's basically the point. If other teams take advantage, like a Ferrari, like a McLaren, like a Red Bull, if they could take advantage of Mercedes being a little down right now, you know, that's where, that's where they, I think they can, they, mm-hmm. they'll get them. But all right. I do have them third, second, third. So all we'll right. See. I've got two. Rapid fire questions for the two of you before we move on to a really quick race preview this race weekend. Question for both of you is one, if you have a hot take for this season, what is it going to be? And two, what are your top five predictions or what are your predictions for the top five drivers and the top five constructors? So daily, I'm going to give it to you first. Who do you see finishing top five in the constructors? Who do you see finishing top five in the drivers? And again, I won't hold you to this because nobody knows what's going to happen, probably more so this year than ever before. And do you have a hot take for what we're going to see this year? Okay, so for constructors, I'm going to go Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, uh, McLaren, Alpine. Alpine's my kind of like my, 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 my sleeper pick because uh, you know I have I have no idea what I'm picking here you know because it's getting so late. Um, <laughs> for, for the drivers' championship, I'm I'm going to go with Max for 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 the repeat. I'm going to go with Charles Leclerc for the runner-up. Uh, third, I'm going to go Lewis, and then fourth, I'm going to go um, I'm going to go with um, Carlos. And fifth, I'm going to go with uh, with George to round out the top oh, very five. Nice. And this year, so a hot take. Wow, that that was one I wasn't uh, expecting. Now you put me on the on the hot seat, and Vincenzo. Well, let, let us let me let me let you think okay. about that, and I'll come back to you on that one. So to quickly rapid fire, I'm expecting Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes. McLaren and Alpha Tauri. Okay. That's how little confidence I have in Aston Martin this year. From a driver's perspective, I'm all over the place. I think it's going to be Max, Charles, Lewis, Lando, Carlos, oh, and Lando. Sergio yeah. Perez. Yeah. And then my hot take, I'm trying to have a Canadian angle on this. Either my hot take is Latifi scores a podium, but I think that's super unrealistic based on the car he's going to get. I'm going to say Lance is going to score not one, but multiple podiums this year. Vincenzo, I'll pop it over to you, let you run through your predictions, and then we'll go back to Daly with his hot take. Alpha Tauri 5, McLaren 4, Mercedes 3, Red Bull 2, Ferrari 1, Perez 5, Sainz 4, Hamilton 3, Verstappen 2, Leclerc 1. Whoa! I do. I think. I think they go. I think they pull the double. I think they pull the double. Um, hot take. Oh man. Uh, I think I, this. Maybe this is a hot take. I don't know. I think Charles finally wins his home Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'll double up on it. I think he'll win his home Grand Prix, and Signs will also win his home GP and first Doubling win. Down awesome. on the, the, the I love it. love it. Yeah. Daily, can, can you top I, I that? I might as well. I got nothing to lose. <laughs> Daily, can you top that? Can you top that as a hot take? Hot take uh, that, that I'm going to make uh, is that uh, this is the year that we see American ownership come into Formula One when they're in the form of the Andrettis, and they're they're not going to just sort of dip their toes into the pool. I think that they, they're going to come in. I think they're going to make a big splash right off of the top, and uh, I, I think that they're going to shake things up in Formula One in a good way. Damn, that is one great hot take. Gentlemen, 
We've got one final thing to touch on, and we'll make this quick. We're three hours deep into this podcast. Vincenzo, you had a fantastic TikTok out earlier where you were talking about the GP that we're going to see in Sahir in Bahrain this weekend. We've been going there since 24 or 2004. The country gained independence in 2002. It's a beautiful Islamic constitutional monarchy. It's a tiny country of just one and a half million people. It's an island nation connected to the Saudi mainland by a causeway. Very cool. It's part of the GCC. It's a principally Arabic country. What are you expecting this weekend? What should we know going into this Grand Prix? Power track, grippy surface. I think we're going to learn a little bit about, uh, I think we're going to learn who's, we're going to learn a lot about strategy, you know, what the strategies are, because I think this is the track that the top players can really kind of let it all out, uh, let it go. Um, hmm. I don't know. Um, do you, do you want me to jump in there? I'm, I'm going to get some predictions. I'm go say. for it. Go for it. I'm going to like Vincendo's, uh, yeah, Vincendo's go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. putting something together here. So I'm going to give it, give him the opportunity to do so. So I'm, I'm predicting. Keep in mind, it's also 2 a.m. his time exactly. right now. Exactly. So, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm predicting Max and Charles on the front row. Second row, I'm going with uh, Carlos and Lewis. Uh, third row, I'm going with Lando. And uh, let, let's just uh, mix it up for the first three rows. I'm going to say Lando and uh, let's go with a Pierre Gasly for to go for the first uh, three the first three rows based on absolutely nothing considering they haven't even had FP1 yet uh, but yeah I, I mean it, it is a power track I, I think that it's uh, interesting because uh, the one thing that is interesting here is uh, you know the, the lap record was set back way back in uh, 2005 by Pedro de la Rosa and his time was a 131.447 so the big question is are they going to be anywhere near fast enough to, to, to break these lap times and how do they compare to even uh, last year so I mean the circuit uh, length uh, where is it I got got in my notes here somewhere so it's 5.4 yeah just a, just a shade under three and a half miles i mean it's a, a fairly long uh, you know 57 laps 191 and a half miles total race distance 308.2 kilometers max was on pole last year but at the end of the race uh, you know it was a, a fairly familiar podium lewis max and uh, valtteri bottas is uh, what we saw uh, last year but yeah it's it's an interesting track you know i, I kind of like the, the the layout you kind of have that sort of very tight technical uh you know uh, some some tight corners there in the infield but you know the one the track that i really the, the one format that i like was that outer ring that we saw in the uh the, the covid season oh, of yeah. 2020 i mean but they were yeah. lapping like yep. 56 uh, seconds so i mean it's a you know fair bit uh, shorter but uh, it, it's a decent track i like it i like the night race there i think it's always a, a good uh track uh, to to go to but uh, that that's what i'm going with um at least uh, for, for the podium but i think that max wins it this year you know just uh, based on that um, you know again until we can get some some real data and uh, we can we, we got a race or two under our belt and see kind of get some equilibrium going on and see where everybody's at i mean it's just pure speculation <laughs> and if i get these right then i'm going out to buy a lottery ticket tomorrow night because you know i might be on a roll we'll see 
On that note, I want to thank everybody that has stuck with us through the two hours and 15 minutes of this megapod. I know we run, (laughs) yeah, I know we run late often. We're typically in that one hour, 30, one hour, 45 minute period. I also want to thank Vincenzo Landino for joining us. It is 2 a.m. Eastern time. It's 11 or 11 p.m. Pacific time as we finalize the recording of this podcast. By the time you are listening to it, we should be into FP1, we should be into FP2, and we should be learning a lot more about the cars and what to expect this season vincenzo before we sign off where can people follow yeah. you you are all over social media i wanted to add to what hamilton was saying about uh bahrain first if i can um and i thought about it as you were talking and you know we've got new tires i didn't even think about the new you oh, know right. the, we- yeah. the new wheels and whatnot like i think that's going to be a can that be as big of an issue as they, or will it be as big of an issue as some thought it would? You know, they said there's some visibility. Um, we're going to get to see if these cars can actually pass and handle that dirty air like we are hoping they can. Um, and this is a good track for it, right? This is a really good track to see. There's like, there's a few overtaking zones. Then we'll be able to see if like, can this new regulation give us that exciting racing i think that's what we're going to see i didn't want to make predictions because i'm over the predictions right now but i i think it'll give us a nice handle of what these cars are and what we can expect going forward we'll see some team dynamic um across a few of the teams some of the new drivers how are they handling their cars it'll give us a good look at the 2022 season. And that's what I'm most excited for. You know, you're not going to win a championship in, in week, week one race one. Um, but it'll, it'll be a really good indication as to where we're at currently. You can find me Vincenzo Landino on Twitter and TikTok and everywhere else. I don't know. Just follow me on Twitter. And then from there, you'll, you'll realize that I'm everywhere. pretty much everywhere. <laughs> I post a lot of my, I repost everything over on Twitter daily on that note. Would you mind signing us out? Sure, for sure. Well, thanks everybody for for tuning in and listening. Everybody on the live stream that have, has hung in there for the past two to quarter hours, and that's it. That's uh, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all very much. Uh, give us and uh, Vincenzo a follow uh, on uh, on the social medias. I uh, can't wait for the race uh, this weekend. FP one set to go in just a couple of hours from now at the time of this uh, recording. Anyways, if you want to follow us, you can find us on Twitter at Scuderia F one Pod, and uh, if you want to get in touch, also send us an email at Scuderia F one Pod at Gmail. That's a wrap. The three of us will be back on Sunday night to wrap the first race of 2022. Until then, enjoy FP1, FP2, FP3, the race, qualifying, all that good stuff. And until Sunday, take care. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye for now.